0: Just a lot of mouth breathing in the like, mic. <laughs> yeah, I can't play, help that. You're a mouth <laughs> breather, aren't you? I
1: phone, am yeah, you know,
2: what, so like you he goes, dude. I'm talking normal. He's I'm yeah. like, a deer that big? How do you know? You guys Crazy. are already talking big deer. So then no can. Can. we would never. So the big property above that, yeah. yeah, yeah, would be awesome to get. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be awesome. You guys are we good?
0: Ready to talk property and big deer? Oh, yeah. Big elk.
2: I mean that's all Jay and I have been talking about. <laughs> it's gonna be easy for us. We, we do have a guest today. We have Jay Scott,
0: Jay Scott Outdoors podcast, and then uh, I kn- you you sent me a you had a blog for
3: a long time. Yeah, you know one of the things people don't know is before I started a podcast, I had a blog, and it's still active today. And do you still post it? I don't post to that um, as much, but I pretty much use that pod uh, the blog kind of like my instagram account now gotcha so i posted almost daily um on it and it was kind of like now podcasts you know everybody knows the word podcast knows the term podcast when i started my podcast people were like what's a podcast well when i started my blog people were like blog blog? that's weird like what is a blog so i had to Kind of educate people on that. Yeah.
0: I went back through it. You sent it to me the other night. We were chit-chatting, just texting back and forth. And I went back and kind of read. I I remember reading a bunch of those. There's a ton Mm -hmm. of stuff on there. there. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, back in the days when forums, everybody was in a forum and, you know, people had blogs or vlogs, I guess. But as
1: as a writer, I hate the term blog. I just hate that word. It sounds... It sounds like you're, a, I don't know, YouTuber doing vlogs, and then you talk I about know, blogs. You like it's hate an, blogs. It's yeah, a written yeah. piece of content. It's an article. Let's call it an, like a,
0: call it an article. An article on a article website. Article
3: sexier than a blog. Blog. Like I that like a blog. It sounds <laughs> like you're in your mom's basement. I like <laughs> that tomorrow. format though because you can have a written yeah, and you're not limited to space. You're not you know, limited. like kind of like Instagram, you're kind of maxed yeah. out. Yeah. So you could write quite a bit if you wanted, but you could also post video. You could also mm. post photos. So, um, I do agree with you on the.
2: Term the the blog, term blog kind of sucking, yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. doesn't bother me.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you, we've just replaced it with captions now, right? Yeah, I mean, on, yeah. on Instagram. Yeah.
2: I feel like a blog is just a, like a running. I think you know, we
0: should bring back the blog. It's like a running
2: stream. <laughs> it just is a winding stream. There's really not like a direction of where it's supposed to go or where it needs to go, where a pointed piece of content is what it, that's what like, supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. kind
1: of like reminds me of like a random person just the like doing just an to, online diary. Yeah, I yeah, kind like yeah. that of <laughs> like, like that aspect. Whatever you kind of felt that day,
3: and it wasn't like totally planned, and it was a little more like mm-hmm. just whatever was on your yeah. mind. Um, that was one thing I really liked, or transitioning from season to season where... You know, you're just kind of putting what's at the front of your mind on the blog. Yeah. Yeah. Yours would go from turkeys to coos. Yeah. To I back mean, to we elk. were hopping all over the place to fishing and everything else. When when did you start that? Do you remember? It would probably be like, 05, 06, 07, somewhere in there, and ran pretty heavy till probably I'm <laughs> guessing twelve or thirteen. There were some in
0: the sixteens. I looked last night. Okay. Yeah
3: and um then you know instagram kind of came out i think i started in 14 on instagram and about that time is probably when the blog kind of took the back seat because the beautiful thing about instagram at the time and still is you can everything's so instant yeah so even with that blog in the written text posting a video posting pictures wasn't quite as easy as just boom post up a picture or Mm -hmm. video on instagram and so that's where i kind of just you know, kick the blog to the side, <laughs> but it, it's amazing. People go, I mean, I've had people go, oh man, I've pulled up so much great stuff on your blog. And, um, you know, it's kind of rewarding to get people going back that far, but there is some really good tidbits mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. When did you start with the podcast? The podcast story is, is pretty cool. Um, January Cooster season in 2015, the meat eater guy, Steve Rinella and, mm-hmm. and um, Giannis, Um, had hunted with us and they've hunted with us, I think, since then. Um, I think this will be their 10th or 11th year this year, but um, when they got back in like early or late January after the hunt, they said, Jay, we have a pilot episode of our um, podcast. I said, like, what's a podcast? Right. I mean, this was, what's a podcast? Well, it's kind of like a radio show. We want to send you our pilot episode and tell us what you think. Well, I listened to it. I'm like, this is pretty cool. I like this. And then Giannis, Steve, they were like, you should do a podcast. I'm like, no, you know, this, this is your idea. I don't. And they're like, Jade, no, this is like, the podcast is going to be big. And I'm like, I don't even know what a podcast is. Long story short, I said, you think? And he said, yeah, you should start a Western hunting and fishing podcast. I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be like stepping on your toes you know, so naive at the time Mm -hmm. of what a podcast was, where it's kind of your own individual way to express yourself and whatnot. So I said, Hey, what kind of equipment do I need? So Giannis sent me a list of equipment and I was up and running in two weeks. And the the crazy story is like February of 2015 when I started it and Lorenzo actually contacted me, I think five or six episodes Mm -hmm. in, And he said, Jay, he said, I love what you're doing with the podcast. He said, I'd love to be a part of it. Lorenzo right here, GoHunt.com was the first person to contact me and say, I want to sponsor the podcast. And my take when when I got Lorenzo's message was I'm thinking, sponsor my podcast? Like, (laughs) I don't (laughs) even know. You're like five weeks in. (laughs) I don't even, I'm five episodes (laughs) in and I don't even know what I'm doing. And, you know, the rest is history. I'm 860 episodes and... You know it's been super rewarding for me to do the podcast and had so many great interviews with great guests mm-hmm. and i've learned so much and um you know it's, it's it's an awesome way for people to be able to listen and learn mm-hmm. and my podcast i always think my podcast is boring it's more educational driven more informational driven but it's amazing how many people really like stuff like that to, mm-hmm. you know, glean information out that they can use on hunts. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, the, the great part, it's been rewarding to be able to see people listen to
2: it and get value from it. Yeah. yeah. I've always been a fan of new content types. Like I've, these, everyone around here knows I, Porter says I consume more content than anybody ever should. I just, I don't, I like educational entertainment you know that's mm-hmm. kind that's i've always appreciated that that's why I like rogan's podcast so much and huberman's and it's entertaining but it's super informative and educational at the same time so like like you're saying back in those days it was kind of a new it was a new thing when i saw the first one come out with hunting which was yours I'm like, yeah oh, I, I don't remember I another it. one um, i get it this is so clear to me that this is it this is so clear to me and so that's why i wanted to be a part of it yeah and uh like it jumped out at me immediately. Like, yeah, this is going to help people. No question.
3: And, and the crazy thing for me is I'm still a one man band. Um, you know, I don't have a production team. I, I do my own editing. I post up the videos, I, you know, or the, the, the content of the podcast. Um, you know, my audio isn't that great. But here's, here's what I know. If you have good information and good education, my podcast is proof that you don't have to be that fancy to be, to have it be successful. And I've kind of stuck with that. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I feel like you can overproduce. Now, granted, if I did have a production team, maybe I could do way better, but I feel like my audience just kind of accepts me and accepts kind of how I do it and how I roll and that that's a nice part because you can kind of do it how you want and you'll have some people that'll not listen and have some people that love it so yeah
1: one one thing though i mean i have to say it because what? lorenzo said he loves content What was the one thing i brought up with lorenzo in 2013 2014 when i interviewed for go hunt i said hey there's these things called podcasts they're going to be big in hunting 2013 2014 i said if i come on a go hunt Go Hunt needs to have a podcast in 2013, 2014. I mentioned it's that fake news. <laughs> I saw my, I pulled, I pulled my cover letter and, and you know, said, what's
2: a podcast. It's, enti- it's entirely right. But again, you know, no one really knew. Yeah. Being naive back then, I, I, I saw it as an individual's way of expressing it. I didn't understand that a brand could do it yet. I didn't know that. Like I'd never wrapped my head around that. I was really struggling with the thought of it. Well, how does a brand do that? Though, Absolutely. You know? And, uh, yeah you were right i i I, I just wanted to put it out there i am good at just a funny little tidbit i always just remember from way back in the day reflection that you were entirely right and i wish so badly we did yeah i I really do that was a huge mistake
3: the thing i love about podcast is we all could have our individual podcast and we could talk about the same thing Uh but we all have a little bit different Different taste and Mm -hmm. feel and and it's just it's a little bit different brings different perspective um, yeah. and I think in this day and age in hunting and fishing, and all the outdoor stuff we do, it's great to kind of have different perspectives yeah. where I was naive with the meat eater guys. I was like, well, I don't want to step on your toes. And they're like, they, they didn't say it, but they're going to be like, Jay, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of hunting mm-hmm. and fishing podcasts. You don't understand what this really is. Yeah. I had come from the world of blogging mm-hmm. and thinking, well, I don't want to steal your idea, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, But now with all of the hunting and fishing podcasts, it's fantastic because you can basically plug it in, learn about anything out there and you can get great entertainment too. Some, Some podcasts Are all about entertainment, and they're not even about education and information.
0: Yeah, usually the first twenty minutes of ours is mostly that. (laughs) (laughs) We we get for it. Yeah, it's mostly the three of us just sitting around shooting the bull. Lorenzo dropping f (laughs) bombs. Yes, but a lot of times it's
1: like we don't really sit around and talk. So I guess it's the only time we actually can sit and have a conversation, and and so we talk about things that we're really interested in. Trail,
2: (laughs) trail is in Cedar. We're down here. Brady's always locked in his cave doing work of all hours of the day. So we rarely get time to mm-hmm. actually catch up. Yeah. So we honestly, we use the first 20, 30 <laughs> minutes of this to usually just like kind of do our own personal catch up. And I like and these live.
3: Um, yeah. I do some live interviews, but a lot of them are, um, this is like in-person live. Mm-hmm. I also like doing phone interviews. The audio quality isn't as good, but you can, it's it's hard to do these it from is. scheduling standpoint. Yeah. Um, But it's nice when you're able to really get you know look in each other's eyes and get you know. that personal connection that's where when i've done in-person interviews i've done some really good ones yeah. Yeah. yeah just speaking of
1: quick banter stuff did you read the comments we got about your your truck horn yes people I love did. them and and you, I, should, and you should I, own I, it
2: i really do appreciate the, like people saying it because it, it does a little validation did, that i shouldn't did you hear feel this so, do you know no, what he's talking about give no. him the cliff notes a uh, cliff notes is i have a train horn on my truck i drop like my an kid actual off, train horn like, it's like a real air compressed yeah. like train air, horn. it sounds like a Real train. And uh, I drop my kid off. My kid always climbs out the driver's side door. He wants to be cool. It's all about a boy trying to look yeah. cool. So he wants to come on same door as dad. <laughs> he hit the switch that turns on my air horn, but it only fires when the truck's turned, like when the battery's on because it runs off that air compressor. So I come bumbling out of school, I have to drop offline, and I go to fire my truck up and absolutely blow away a mother and a four year old. And I mean, like, off, huh? blow them away. And uh, yeah, one of those like pit in your stomach, embarrassing. Dude, did you have to get, get
3: out and be like,
2: "I'm sorry"? No, I drove off as fast <laughs> as I could <did>. I because, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, not even, uh, not even to make the story better. Just genuinely, what happened? I drove off as fast as i could a direction i never go ended up getting lost in a neighborhood because i didn't know there was a new way because usually i u-turn and have to go back across the school there's no way i was doing that so I just, have, you I dropped, even, have
0: you dropped him off since that was the i dropped up. him off this morning yeah no no problem
2: my cheeks were red <laughs> i'm sure you know i looked not right He
0: got christmas break coming up maybe people will forget about yeah, it so anyway that's that's
2: the change the truck. it still bothers me can't we can't post hit me on slack and was like, dude, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm glad you're laughing. (laughs) Like I'm still, I can't believe it. Yeah. Pit in the stomach. One of those, you know, one of those things.
0: So you're, you're 800 episodes deep. Is that what you say?
2: 865, I think. Yeah. I think
3: it, um, I kind of stopped counting as far as, um, at one point in time, I saw 70 million downloads, um, over the course of its history. Wow. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say if those are downloads or impressions. Um, I I haven't checked in a long time, but um, it's been it's been a real blessing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I judge the success of the podcast based off of direct messages and emails that I get. Mm -hmm. I don't read reviews. I don't read any of that. I don't really care about that. What I care about is people emailing saying, I shot this buck because of you. You helped me. Your guest helped me you ask great questions. I was able to learn how to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. For me, that's the reward of doing what I do is helping people be successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Winky, who's a big in the whitetail world, is a good friend of mine. And back in 2010, he had mid midwestwhitetail.com at the time. It was just a powerhouse. And we were fishing one day in Colorado and he said, you know, Jay, he said, um, the entertainers will come and go, but the educators and the informers were, are here to stay, and so that always kind of Start kind of with resonated it. with me and stayed with me. That you know, if, if I can do my best to help people be better at what they do, um, they'll be better, I'll be better, and that's kind of the the gist of or or the why of why why I do what I do.
0: One thing, we're a hundred episodes. We'll be a hundred episodes in here pretty quick and i've got
1: this this is over this is We're this over, 100. Sorry. over <laughs> 100 i'm trying to I come on, know this come on so <laughs> I,
0: I kind of have a hand in it but yeah we'll be over 100 but it's interesting to go back i was curious as to like do you feel like you've gotten better at it over time and if so like how so because i i go back to listen to some of our stuff and i don't i think i've gotten a little bit better it's, it's I, gotten easier i would say i think yeah. you get more
3: comfortable I think as you do it and as you talk about it you get more comfortable Mm -hmm. i don't know that i'm better um, so to speak i i think i do a good job of diving into a deep topic and really trying to pick someone's brain about Mm -hmm. what they're thinking how they're thinking why they're going after the buck in that way or the ram in that way or you know strategy and tactics um and i like kind of diving deep and and you know trying to really get in there and pick those nuggets out um I don't know that I'm better um, but I'm much more comfortable when I'm guests on people's podcasts which happens like this yeah um I'm I'm more comfortable just talking Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: yeah I think it's probably been I've been on your podcast a few times yeah but I remember the first time I remember very vividly actually I remember. I was sitting, I went upstairs. We have like a loft above my garage and I remember being asked to be on the podcast and I thought, this is a big deal. I'm on Jay Scott's podcast, you know? And and it was probably one of the first ones I'd ever done, you know? I remember thinking, man, I wonder what, what he would want to talk to me about, you know? And I think we were talking elk in Utah or something like that, which is, I have a fair amount of experience with that, but I remember being nervous and I remember I went upstairs in my loft. I remember sitting there in the corner I had my, you know, my AirPods in and I remember sitting there and first getting on and, and I remember like uncomfortably, you know, being kind of nervous. So yeah. you're right, it has gotten easier, but I, I definitely, I relate to that for sure. I, I <laughs> yeah.
3: think when we're talking about stuff that we love, it yeah. becomes easier. easier. I mm-hmm. think initially you're kind of like, well, what are we gonna, how's it gonna go? How's yeah. the flow gonna be? And that kind of makes you uneasy. And I think that's human nature. Um, but the more that we can just discuss stuff that we love, it it's pretty easy. Yeah,
0: I think most of us too, I mean, a lot of us, at least i think anyway i think a lot of us are cut from the same cloth and when we feel the most comfortable it's like being outdoors that's why we like hunting we like being disconnected from from this type of thing you know and so talking isn't necessarily maybe a lot of our strong points so i think just generally hunters and a lot of us are, are kind of introverted. So it's, it's a little bit of a stretch sometimes to yeah. jump on a podcast. Or. The,
3: other, the other thing I do too, is I'll just call you up or call Brady up mm-hmm. and try and talk, not in a podcast sense, just more like talking to Chit-chit. your buddy, like, how's it going? How was the hunt? Mm-hmm. Try and kind of get that feel. So you get stories and you get kind of, you don't have that uneasy, like, yeah. what's he going to ask me next? It's just kind of chatting.
0: One thing I always do, because I have the drive from Cedar to Vegas when I come down. So usually if I've got, I've got what, two and a half hours, I'll call somebody up and I've got a few of them that are a bit long winded and, and they like to chit chat. So I'll call them up and just get my mouth moving and get going, get the brain turning. Yeah. And that always helps me. Like when I actually sit down and do a podcast, cause it feels like my mouth is finally moving. I'm a little bit more with it in the morning. The but
3: words flow. Yeah. Easier. The words flow a little yeah, better. Yeah. yeah. yeah I and I have, think you could probably record some of that and these guys could cut some pretty good <laughs> You have to be like, hey, I'm recording you now. So. Yeah. but it's it's amazing how just when you're just free talking about stuff you yeah. love, how um how real it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What got you into? I
0: mean, you something that you said. You said you you 800 episodes, and you you started a blog, and it was you know hunting related. But what like what is your background? I don't know that much about you to be honest. Beyond you know what I know of you with the J Scott Outdoors podcast, and I've known you since then but I, I don't know a ton about you and like how you got into the industry and hunting. And
3: I, yeah. I would be curious as to like yeah. your background. Yeah. So I was the kid, my grandma got a field and stream and outdoor life magazine for me when I was a little kid and I didn't have parents or people really that would take me hunting. My grandma introduced magazines, hunting and fishing magazines back, I'm guessing five, six, seven, eight years old. Did you, and where'd you grow up? In Phoenix. Okay, in So Phoenix. I grew up in Phoenix and come from kind of ranching family on both sides. And my grandma would get me these magazines. And I remember when it would come and I would, I would be the kid that would read Field and Stream magazine and I'd, you know, fold the corner of the magazine on an article that I liked or a picture that I liked. And I was just fascinated by hunting and fishing. Well, as a few years went by, like for my birthday, I'd say, can you take me to the local urban lake? And I want to learn how to fish, and you know, I did a lot of that kind of stuff where I just dreamed I wanted to do that. And so I saw these big magazines, and I just thought the guys in the magazines, I couldn't believe the opportunities that they were getting. And nobody else hunted in your family? Like, you didn't? Yeah, didn't I mean, ranching. So they weren't, you. you know, a lot of ranchers, some of them mm-hmm. hunt, and then some are just like, oh, that's just a dumb deer. Look, where's, oh, there's the mother <laughs> cow to that calf, a time and, you know, waste that kind here. of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but as kind of things moved on, um, my dad let me do some hunting and I had some friends that would take me hunting. I was the kid that was always on the shore at the lake when we'd go in the summer and I would throw my little Zebco 33 out there with my bobber, not catch anything all day. See these little boats come in full stringer of trout. I'm like, someday I'm going to get, I'm going to be on that boat. I as a kid, I was like that burning inside of my belly that I'm gonna have one of those boats. Hmm. And you know, fast forward. So through high school, it just became something that I really wanted to do. And I would go with friends. In college, but then you know, once I got my own wheels and could drive, then I had a little more freedom to go fishing, mm-hmm. a lot of urban lakes, um, you know, hunting that kind of stuff, and. You know, I was a competitive golfer um, also. I played. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I played high school and college. High school right? and college. They have Porter in here. We, I, yeah, we, I played. <laughs> yeah, I played at. <laughs> have you golfed with uh, Porter? Uh, no. know I'm Orlarin. So no, we never I'm terrible have. now. I haven't played in probably. I've played a few times in the last 20 years, but golf was a huge part of my life. Hmm. And so being outside, you know, when I was 14, 15, like I worked at the golf course, had to have my parents sign the waiver that, you know, he's too young to work, but you know, washing golf carts, picking range balls and love the game of golf. As, as I got done with college hunting and fishing, it was all I wanted to do. So becoming a guide was a perfect step for me to actually be out in the field more. Mm -hmm. So I became a guide. I want to say like in 1996 or 1997, Guiding for someone or for your own your own outfit? So in Arizona, it's crazy because you can just get a guide's license and you're, you're an outfit. You're a guide. You're a guide. Like, don't know what the heck I'm doing, but you're licensed. You know, as we're in Montana, some of these yeah. states, mm-hmm. you have to work under an outfit or you have to have a concession in Colorado or whatnot. Um, so what age was that that you were? So, I mean, right out of college, I got my guide's license or maybe I was still in college. So I would probably would have been, what, 18, 19. Huh. years old 20 years old um and i loved hunting so much specifically archery elk hunting um from 1996 till present i've never missed i've been 30 days in the elk woods 100 of the time except for 2014 when dar and i had the auction hunter for desert bighorn sheep it's the only elk season i've missed and you know archery elk to me kind of shaped the love for hunting and, you know, then it branched into coos deer and branched into mule deer. And, but archery elk is, is still kind of the center point of the, my love for hunting. You know, the first time I heard a bull elk bugle was, I was hooked. Um, and so I've been very fortunate. I was 20 years a, a public land guide in Arizona, um, for, for public land bulls. And then in 2017, um, I, I stopped, public land in arizona and i got the opportunity to guide kind of be the hunt manager at ot six ranch Mm -hmm. for five years so i was there for five seasons Um, my friend still owns the ranch and um, that was an incredible experience because 50,000 acre ranch and was able to basically watch these elk deer deer also but mainly elk grow up And it was kind of my first chance to really trail cam these elk and really get to know them Mm -hmm. and um you know monitor their age their patterns their movements and really learn like 20 years public land i learned elk really well yeah learned how to hunt them well but it was nice to actually like get to monitor these animals and that's where like with the mexico stuff now Mm -hmm. running trail cameras and like learning i don't care if it's a big buck or a little buck learning that buck year after year after year why he does what he does some of the things he comes leaves like we would have elk at the odd six that would leave the ranch in the summer and come back in the rut or leave during the rut and come back in the winter and be able to be like predict where is that bull gonna go where's that bull gonna you know Mm -hmm. that's the part that i really started kind of getting almost goofy about Mm -hmm. um I'm kind of getting long-winded here, but that's kind of the start of it. Um, You know, I got my guide's license. I fell in love with elk. Um, In 97 or, yeah, I think 97, I also started going to Mexico for coups. Gotcha. And um, I've kind of structured my life where the summer I fish. um, (laughs) My favorite is brown trout, moving Mm -hmm. water. I have my own rafts. We target brown trout, love dry fly fishing and streamer fishing. I kind of target fish in the summer. Then I transitioned to elk, then coos deer, mule deer, bighorn sheep, and then I started, and then turkey. Turkey's a huge part of my life. But for the last, I mean, since 1997, basically I've done fishing for three months, elk season for 30 days, you know, coos deer, desert bighorn in December, turkey in the spring, and then started all over again. Mm -hmm. Jay's got life figured out. He really does. Like, so, that's, sounds amazing.
1: That's a dream.
3: <laughs> and my real job is real estate. Right. So I also have a real passion for um, buying and selling real estate and investing in real estate. So I look at real estate just like I look at hunting. To me, it's a hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm hunting for a deal. I'm hunting for a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. So being a hunter has worked really well for me in business um, because I go to work every day hungry. I go to work every day like a hunter. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people that are successful in business kind of have that mindset of they're looking for that deal of the day and how, how to build a business and how, you know, how to, the challenge of it. Yeah. My mind is constantly running. It's hard to turn it off. Um, I'm always thinking of hunting or fishing or real estate.
2: Hmm. Yeah. The more I've gotten to know you, that is very clear. (laughs) It's just, it's nonstop. Yeah. It's it's, my, yeah.
3: I'm a, I'm a sun up the sun down but and hunting going.
2: came before
3: real estate that's one thing i'd so yeah i got my real estate license also in 19 a lot of stuff happened in 1997 i graduated from asu i fin- i so i played three years of competitive golf at grand canyon uh university there in phoenix and then i had 18 hours the, an- to the antelopes yeah antelopes <laughs> and <laughs> when, I, I, went like there, I, when I went there it's the bad. antelopes the it was a tiny school now it's a gigantic yeah, it's big, school yeah. and they have an awesome stadiums and stuff but Um, I got my real estate license in 97, got guides license in 97, and so I was just chasing real estate hard um, and trying to hunt as much as possible and guide as much as possible.
0: Gotcha. How
3: did you... uh how do you manage because I, I you love to hunt right
0: and you've 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 guided so many elk hunters and you've you've had your guides license you know for a long time like how did you manage the opportunity to go hunt yourself versus guiding clients so
3: for a long time i loved hunting myself for coos there in mexico that was kind of my hunt that the thing I would, that you like yeah. yeah i would also be taking people and that's how that business got started is I love, Dar and I, my hunting partner, we would hunt ourselves really hard. I mean, in Mexico, we'd have three, four, five tags, seven tags a year. We'd have different ranches we're hunting. We were going like crazy, and we were having success doing that, and so that kind of led into that business, the outfitting business in Mexico, where people were like, man, these guys are doing really well. Hey, can you take us on some hunts? Hey, do you have any ranches? Mm -hmm. Hey, what what do you have? And so that kind of just started building, and every year it got – it, it, it kept building, you know, you ask the question, how do you juggle it? Um, I would say that hunting always comes first, even over fishing, even over real estate. There you if go. I have a good real estate <laughs> deal, um, I'll leave a good real estate deal for for a great hunt all day long. It's just a priority to me. Yeah. Um, and now with my real estate, I have people that I can leave a deal with and and you know handle it mobile, sat phone or or whatever. Um, and most of my real estate is my stuff or just a few people that I work with. So I'm I'm not your typical real estate agent where we do have that aspect on our team where if you want to buy a house we can help you with that but i'm more focused on individual properties and investments for me and a few people that i work with right. um but hunting has always like september one comes i'm in the elk woods there's no debating like yeah the whole month i'm gonna be somewhere yeah. chasing elk um, yeah i've
0: got buddies that guide and i'm always like how do you how do you do that i mean they're in the woods they're guiding elk and they're out helping people kill elk which i get that but like my my desire is always to be like i want the tag i want to go hunting yeah Yeah. so so well and for me me, i would have a hard time juggling that
3: i i've kind of totally transitioned where personal hunts i really have no desire the burn i the my belly used to burn really hot and hard for wanting to kill big deer myself Mm -hmm. and it's honestly it's kind of gone away my passion is outfitting and guiding and taking people. It, it, if if you told me there was a 220 inch buck and I could go shoot it or Lorenzo could go shoot it, I'm going to take him hmm. or you. I, I'm I'm I've gotten to a point where m- my personal killing. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's not saying I'm not going on any hunts. Sure, it's saying that it doesn't burn like it used to. Mm-hmm. And building the outfitting business is more of a priority to me and seeing other people have success than my own personal success.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I think
1: it goes back to what you're saying earlier, though. Like You like you know, being an educator. And it kind yeah. of falls in line with like the outfitting thing. You like helping people. You like I helping like, people reach their goals. I like
3: helping people. I don't really look at myself as an educator because I don't ever want to be the guy that thinks he knows it all. Yeah, but you're and using And I always tell my buddy, I'm, I'm like, if if I ever get to where I'm like standing on a soapbox and I'm like up on my high horse, knock me off, because <laughs> that's, <laughs> and people that know me, they know my intention is genuine of wanting to help people be successful, yeah. truly. And I only say that because I, I just really make it a point to not be that guy that's like well, this is how I do it, and it's the only way to do it because I learn every day in all aspects of life that there's lots of ways to do it, yeah. many ways to skin a cat.
0: I wanted to get into that a little bit because you've you've killed some big bulls yourself. You've also guided a bunch of really big bulls. I mean, like top, you know, top, top-tier echelon, you know, animals. One of the things I was curious about is how do you, how does somebody go about turning up that next tier of animals? Because I think this is something I think about a lot because it's like, I can go out and I can spend my time. Um, it's hard to, to turn up that next tier animal. And I think there's probably some tips or tricks because there's definitely guys that I know that seem to be doing it and they have a knack for it. Um, I'm sure it's not a knack, you know, it's not like, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't come out of the skies or anything. It's not divine intervention, I don't think, but how do you, how do you, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I do
3: want to say I it would not be sincere if I didn't say that the days of what I used to do are not as easy as they used to be. So twenty years ago when I was doing it, there was not near as many people doing it and as laser focused as I was and as we were my team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that competition, just like in all sports, and all activities has gotten better every year, okay? Mm-hmm. So could I do it still today? Maybe. Could I do it like I used to? Maybe not. Maybe I could. Hmm. Who knows? So with that being said, I would answer the question laser-focused. I I would go and try and find a 400-inch bull every single year, and I would not waste time on bulls that weren't 400 inches because I'm looking for a giant. And that's how I treat... Kind of everything in life including my businesses including real estate like i'm looking for the needle in the haystack if you're not the needle in the haystack i'm looking elsewhere mm-hmm. so laser focused and super intense i think is the answer to how do you be successful in finding big animals you, there's nothing else like that's all i live for that's what i wake up just, that's that's what i do that's what i that's what pushes me now from a skill set standpoint time mm-hmm. time in the field going 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 there's a lot of people that are way better at hunting than i am okay there's a lot of people that are more successful there's a lot of people that are more intense and more laser focused so i'm but i have had some success if I look back and say, how have you been successful? I would say it's just that burning desire to find great bucks, bulls, rams, whatever it may be, and spend a lot of time. My real estate has given me the ability, financ- financing wise, or the financial aspect of it, to be able to spend time that I do. Mm-hmm. If I. If I didn't have real estate and didn't have income-producing properties and some of the success that I had in re, in real estate, I wouldn't have been half as successful as I've been. If you look back on some of the bulls that you've
0: you've killed or you've guided, are there commonalities between the type of vegetation, the type of topography? <laughs> so much for getting the
2: mouth moving. Yeah, exactly. all yeah,
0: I didn't didn't make my call today topography or you know distance from a road i mean is there any kind of commonality
3: there that you can draw from that
2: well before
3: i answer that i would say too another thing i think you're giving me a little bit too much credit because i've was in arizona sure. during the peak of the peak the best of the best mm-hmm. almost every unit had a big giant bull in it okay it's not like that anymore so I don't want some of the young guys listening to this podcast thinking that they can only find a 350 bull, that they're not being successful. That might be the best bull that's in the unit. Right. But I, I wanted to find the best bull in the unit. And I still do when I go out and hunt or I'm guiding. I don't care what animal we're hunting. I want to find the biggest. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I don't. But if that's what drives you to like, look, sift through, I'll eat a tag so fast. I'll eat tags, personal tags. I do not care. I want to shoot something big. And I think in order to do that, you have to be willing to eat it mm-hmm. and you have to be laser focused. I, I kind of forget your original question, but like I was in Arizona commonality. I was in nine, 10, 23. Those that's are the cool. only units that I even wanted to be a part of. Why? Cause that's where the big ones lived.
0: But, but but even within that, like I've hunted 23, I've hunted nine a little bit, poked around in it, but are there any, is there, any, I mean, 23 is a huge unit. It's so
3: I always knew that like 23 bordered the the reservation. So gotcha. you had the White Mountain Apache. I used to hunt, we killed some 400, pretty good bulls in 3C as well. So you've got the White Mountain Apache on the mm-hmm. south of Unit 3C. You've got the White Mountain Apache on the east side of Unit 23. Yep. So I've hunted personally the San Carlos reservation three times. So I know the type of quality of elk that are on there. I've turkey hunted for years on the white mountain. So I know what's there. Mm-hmm. So when I would hunt three C I would really focus on the border of Foundry. the reservation because during the peak of the rut, a lot of times those bulls would come across cause the state land would have a lot of cows. They'd gather up and so you'd have your chances. On the 23 side, you have some of the same things where you have the reservation and you have those chance where those bulls can get to an older age class, which is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the old bulls aren't big, but a lot of times they are. Um, So I would focus on those reservation lines. Then in unit nine and 10, you've got the eye and you've got the Supai, you've got the Grand Canyon National Park. So the thing that those three units have is they have sanctuary areas. They have areas where Elk, deer, whatnot can get big. right? And as as we all know, it takes age class. Mm -hmm. That's a huge piece of the puzzle is age class. So you ask about different terrain. I've found big bulls out in the sage. I've found bulls up in the ponderosa pine. I've found them in the scrub brush. The one thing I will tell you is You have to just be constantly weeding through and looking at a bunch of elk. I think if I was giving advice to people, which I do on my podcast, sometimes people would say too much, um, (laughs) is you have to be able to sift through animals and keep looking for what you're after. Because it's it's a numbers game. It's it's hard to do. It's really hard to do when there's like eight bulls bugling in a meadow. And it's fun and exciting. You want to sit here and video these 330, 340, 350 bulls. And those are great bulls. But if you're looking for a giant, you're wasting time. Yeah.
1: That's what I've always seen a lot of people do. Like when I'm hunting... Other states, I'm like, why are you looking over there? You're looking on private land at those animals that will never leave there. But like, oh, I just want to video it, show my buddies. I'm like, you're wasting precious hunting time right now yeah. by looking at no, animals. You're not going to kill. Of that for I sure. get
2: sucked into watching animals. I love it. Yeah. I, I I love watching animals, especially when they're rutting. Like, yeah. I get sucked into that all the time. I wouldn't even be able to tally up the amount of time wasted and i don't want to come off too as a complete snob because i i I don't feel i am but i feel like
3: i'm laser focused on like that's one of the things i really like about hunting coos deer in mexico Mm -hmm. on private ranches are you have the ability to sift through bucks and you have ability to leave bucks and you have abilities to rent that ranch for the next year and let that buck grow and what does he turn Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. and 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 to want to be able to see that deer a year later or two years later or five years later and have the ability to do that that creates a passion in me that just drives me insane like i can't stop thinking about it
0: yeah i don't think you're coming off anyway i mean Mm -hmm. i think it's a i think it's a worthwhile conversation to have i think we've (sighs) I think generally as an industry we've we've kind of swung to the point where, you know, quote unquote trophy is a dirty word. You know, you, you can't really talk about a trophy animal per, per se, when in reality I think it's your prerogative to hunt whatever animal you want Absolutely. to hunt. And if you're if you want to challenge yourself with, you know, hunting a mature tro- you know, trophy, I have to throw in quotations yeah. now, right? Or I'm not These I'm not days, okay yeah. to do it. But yeah, throw it in quotations. But um, you know, if you wanna do that, that's your prerogative. And I'm at that stage. I don't I don't really have a You know, some hunts are different, but, you know, generally speaking, if I've got the time to scout and I've got the time to hunt, I want to kill the best animal I possibly can. And I I like that for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons being the challenge in doing so is finding that animal and then actually killing it because that's a whole other level of satisfaction for me in hunting. And Absolutely. you know, I like to do it the way that I do it, but I, I think it's totally okay to talk about it. I think there's a lot of people out. I mean, you know, it's funny. Here's a funny, just a random, a rant. I'll get into one, but Yeah, I think it's very bizarre that if you like, if you go to your, your YouTube page, right, you can find literally thousands of whitetail hunts where the entire goal, is to grow and kill a giant white tail and it's like completely okay and accepted but like you get into western big game hunting if you you know you only want to target a 400 inch bull, somebody was to say that or a 220 inch mealy it's like oh, i don't know that guy's a trophy yeah, hunter.
2: what a yeah. Snob, but yeah what a snob,
0: yeah but white tail hunters i mean that's
3: that's all they, that's they say all they, they do you they're, know, they're into it. it and and it's cool to see the passion of the guys the midwest sure guys. i think it's awesome and, and sometimes we can't relate to it in a fact that maybe we're not white tail hunters and we, we're like man that guy's really into it yeah but then you just come out west and you see brady loves the mule deer you love the mm-hmm. mule, like you guys all love mule deer like it's just, it's the same game it's just a different animal and we have a little bit different circumstances we have more public <laughs> land than they do they have more private um, you, you know, so it is what it is. What I try and tell people is like everybody has their passion. Mm-hmm. Like we should never be judging someone for their passion if if they're jazzed up about it. Like I love turkey hunting. Like is is <laughs> jazzed up as I get right here. Yeah, we'll start talking about turkeys and Lorenzo. We'll, he we'll could get care we'll, less we'll about get, a dumb we'll turkey. Get there. Like like, <laughs> we'll get there like point, point, he'd but right he'd, now he'd, yeah. he'd run over the flock with his truck and laugh probably and be yeah. like dumb turkeys, but. My point is, I, I I like turkeys because I don't care about... Be- people say, well, do you score beards? Do you score a turkey? I never in my life have I scored a turkey. Never, you know, I don't... Yeah, I've measured a few beards. I don't care about spurs. If it's gobbling and strutting, it's going to get shot. Yeah. Now, <laughs> will, will I look for a big coos deer and will I go home empty without a tag? Yeah. But it's just... It's nice sure. to have an animal like a turkey where you're like, man, if you come in here gobbling and strutting, you're in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, chasing those big older age class animals to me is what I'm passionate about.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think most people would be lying to themselves if they didn't uh, go out on opening day and hope for the opportunity of an animal of that caliber. Yeah. So I think it should be okay that you talk about things like, that's why I was curious on asking you because I know that you've, you've guided, you've killed some gigantic animals yourself. That's why it's interesting to me in exploring that from somebody that's done it is, you know, how do you find that caliber of animals? So that's
3: why I was curious and asking. I think it's completely okay that people talk about it. I think you've gotta be in those states, you gotta be in those units where those animals Good. live first and foremost. I yep. think people that have shot a bunch of stuff and if they want to kill something bigger, they've gotta go where they're at. Now, as we all know, and one of the things that Go Hunt morphing over time what go hunt has morphed into is an unbelievable education platform that is helping people figure out these things Mm -hmm. there's a whole group of people that are saying it's too much education it's too much information bull there isn't you want everybody that goes out to be as educated and informed and who am i to say i love the tug on the end of my line you know my rod bending and I don't want this guy to be able to have that same th- thing. I've had my day in the sun. You know, yeah. all I want to do is help people get to see things that I've seen and ins- experienced. And Go Hunt over time has morphed into this unbelievable platform. And I don't mean to turn this into a commercial, but it educating people on units, specific areas, specific elevation mm-hmm. bands I mean to even think when you started this yeah. that now you have a mapping system that you're searching elevation bands it's pretty crazy I mean I <laughs> remember when you started yeah to, to I know in your mind you had the vision but to see like where you guys have come is pretty amazing yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. whenever I look back on it it is pretty wild like where it was and where it is now it's it's wild if I
3: bad. would have had that information 25 years ago, I would have been even more dangerous. Right. Holy smokes! Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: Like what you're saying, though, right there, does make sense. Like I'll throw my brother on our bus because he's, he's my brother. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> we always go on our, our family he deer should hunt.
0: probably there. throw his name in yeah, there. You if he brother. bus. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Bryce, laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: but, but like you're saying, like you have to hunt areas that have the potential for those animals you're trying to chase. He's always like, I'm not going to shoot a deer in our family deer hunt unless it's 190. Like. They don't don't grow. One ninety bucks where we go. Right, we go there because we see a lot of deer and it's fun. fun. It's a family adventure. If we want those one ninety like he's chasing, yeah, that's why I build points for you in other states. Right, and you've had an exp- hunt like that, and you didn't take out the buck that you wanted to, but you saw a deer like that. Because like you have to know the area what the potential is, and that's what's great about you know go hunt again because like we do yeah. show that stuff. You can kind of always obviously there's going to be outliers, but knowing what the potential of the unit is like. Bryce, you're never gonna shoot a 190 buck where we go. He just won't. Okay, Too many okay. people, like the terrain is set up where people can shoot some deer, but just knowing what you have for it. Yeah. I think
0: there's a lot of good information, just like in the in the if you're calling to the little recesses of the details, the things that you just said, you know, hunting hunting areas, picking apart a landscape for areas that hold refuge that an animal. Can get into can get some sanctuary. Yeah, Mm. they can get some age to them, because I I do think I mean genetics is a huge part, feeds a huge part, but a lot of it's age. Sure, age class and you kind of need all three. You gotta have all three.
3: If one's missing, yep, you might get one or two good animals, but you know you need all three. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you need all three. So you gotta look for those types of areas, which I think is a great tip. The other one that you brought up is time, and then also just the ability to set a benchmark for yourself, set a goal and move on if you don't find what you're looking for keep going keep looking keep looking and i think i'm, I'm guilty of this i i will go out i will have in my mind i want to try to find you know the best buck i can possibly find i'll scout you know whatever days that i've got to scout maybe i haven't found the buck that like really meets my expectations but i fall in love with the idea of the, the best animal that i found even if he's maybe only 170 180 inches you know which i'm happy with but in the back of my mind i'm always thinking yeah, I'm, I'm kind of giving up on every the possibilities of anything yeah. else because I'm now focused in on this one thing. So I think like, you, you do have to be very, um, you know realistic and set goals and stick to them and have the drive to do so and be willing to eat a tag, like you said.
3: Well, and two, let's let's be real of like back when I was not married, back when I didn't have responsibilities mm-hmm. with all the different businesses that I have. I could literally light my hair on fire for 30 days, 60 days, and no one would hear from me. And what's Jay doing? Oh, he's looking for a big bowl. Mm -hmm. It's harder for me to do that now because I don't have the time. So for me to come off and say, oh, you just need time. Well, people are probably listening like, I only got a week, dude. Well, great. Do the best you can with that week. And that's fantastic. Um, not everybody can take off that amount of time and just do the best you can do with what you have. Mm -hmm. That's important. And don't waste any laser focused with what you have. We all have different responsibilities. We all have different goals and objectives. Yeah. I mean, it basically just comes down to do what you can with what you have. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was curious. You've got you've, you've you said archery elk was kind of the big. You know, you, you did that. That was your your ticket into hunting, and you love that. I was curious, and you've guided so many different hunters. Like, what are some of the most common mistakes you saw with archery elk hunting?
3: I, I think archery elk hunting specifically, and specifically talking about Arizona, because they bugle so well in the calling interaction, and 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 that part of it, it's real easy for people to really get into. And I love calling elk. I love calling elk. But the reality is if you're killing, trying to kill a big bull, probably the, some of the best thing you can do is not call. Basically try and ease in with your binos, see if it's a big bull that you want. If it's not, turn around and go chase other bulls. Where I love to call to those bulls and have them come in and be like, oh, we passed a 330 bull at 15 yards. If you're talking about mistakes, if you're trying to kill a big one,
4: mm-hmm.
3: not calling and messing with those bulls because you're just wasting an hour, mm. right? Um, mistakes, people moving. Mm. People moving, bobbing their head, trying to watch. When those bulls are coming in, they will literally walk right by you. I mean, they'll walk from here, me to, me to braid your or trail, if you just kind of tip your hat down and you don't move so many people i would have to be like listen this bull's probably going to come in the wind's blowing this way he's probably going to circle the wind you got to be ready where he's going to come in from mm-hmm. and you got to be still you can stand and the other thing is they tuck behind a tree mm-hmm. you can stand right out in front of a tree but you got to stay still you, you want to keep your hat kind of down you don't want to like shine your face at them you want to let them come by. You don't move. Let them walk by. So many people, I think, they make the mistake of either getting tucked behind something because yeah, well, they, they think they have to hide. Mm-hmm. Or when they're out in the open, the bull's coming in at 40, 50, 60 yards. Or the cows are in the lead and the bull's behind them and they're moving around. Yeah.
0: I think one of the things that I've done, I've, I'm guilty of this, is like you'll, uh, you'll be calling a bull... I hunt. I hunt alone a lot. I'll be calling a bull, and I'll see a flash of the bull, and my initial instinct is to hit my knees, just like oh, I'm going to hit my knees. I'm going to reduce my profile and just gonna yeah. and hit my knees. Gets and stuck then I and then I'm pinned down. Yeah, I yeah. can't move. Like I can't move readily to my left or to my right. If, right. If, that, if that bull
3: circles, that's like one little tip that I picked up. But that's when you said that. That's what it reminded me of. Was like oh, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Yeah. Stay on your feet so you can move when you need to. No, kind of learn when you need to move. And when you need to be still. Yeah. I think that's all of us that archery hunt and have, I've blown some, I I always say I've never met an elk I can't spook. Like (laughs) I can spook them as good as anybody (laughs) out there, but I've learned there's things that you really need to do. And one of them is when they're, when they are looking for that sound, if you are calling, you got to be really still. Yeah.
0: That's a good one. Have you ever had? If you had any any real meltdowns, like any clients that have like really melted down?
3: I mean, and had yeah, like where they're throwing their bones and <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've wanted to throw it with them sometimes too, where we've them. worked so hard to get in the right spot, and, and you know, a lot of times it just happens. Yeah, and then it's funny to see, and I I, I could probably be accused of that as intense as I am. Not never like oh you screwed this up more like man we almost had them like you know yeah Mm -hmm. um a a fun thing is like in arizona we have a ton of manzanita tons of manzanita you know you'll be like walking (laughs) either chasing bulls or let's say you know you've chased them all morning and now you're like geez we're six miles in and you know like you have to walk back through manzanita and i remember this one time i was guiding a father son and the son had the tag the father was with him and we're walking back and i mean we have got ourselves neck deep in this manzanita like how we got there i don't know but it's one of those where you kind of keep plowing forward and you're like well we're going to get through it i mean we're in this where like you can't even touch the ground and you're like just wading through this sea of yeah. crap and i look back and i go just think you're paying for this <laughs> and they just started laughing we all just laid down in the manzanita we're like that you know just the timing of you know, the struggle of the hunt. Here we are stuck in the manzanita and, and you know, make a joke and we all could laugh about yeah. it. That was kind of fun. Yeah, for sure.
0: I've hunted some of those late archery hunts for elk in Arizona. And I, I think
3: the first time you called
0: me, you I said, did. I have That's a late archery hunt. Talked. And I said, yeah, why? Turn, t- turn it back. <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, can you turn it back? Yeah, you, I think <laughs> yeah. I said that. That's right. You did. Yeah. I do remember that. Did you
2: turn it back? No. No, I killed
0: a bull. Yeah, I killed a good yeah, one. A nice bull. Yeah, I, I killed a good yeah, yeah, a killed nice a, bull that year. But I do remember. He sent me a picture. I remember. He's like, I'm like, well he killed a good
3: bull yeah this is true
0: <laughs> i do remember this now that you said that so re- I've, I've got i've gotten into some manzanita patches there where you you're looking on your app on your phone and you're like i've gone 300 yeah. yards i have another f- 300 to go and i've been in here for an hour and 45 yeah, and you minutes you can't like, even yeah.
3: see which like you're yeah. just lost in there mm. yeah it's
0: bad
2: shit is nasty yeah
0: it is rough you look like Brady's always, Brady always, this is, I'm just going to preface this, Brady always accuses me of like dominating the conversation he and does. then he doesn't get a chance to get his questions. <laughs> he, <does. laughs> he goes from one to another and I'm like, uh, well, I'm ready to say I, yeah, something. I'm always trying to give him side eyes so I can just pick him up. He looked like he was going to say man, something <laughs> so I'll
1: let you go. Guilty real. I just wanted to ask real quick because like, I know the trend of like solids and clothing is like becoming bigger and bigger and you elk Con all the time. Like, do you feel you get an edge and you're using camouflage? On an elk hunter, or can guys get by with solids? Like I say, as long I, as you don't
3: move. I think as long as you don't move, you can get by. I do think there's some merit to uh, a pattern if you've got elk that are super wise. Um, you know, if you're using a solid uh, camo that that is shiny, you know that that might throw me off. Um, but the reality is, you know, wearing a, a, a drab, you know, all of kind of you know off brown. Uh, You know, I think more than anything with elk specifically, it's more of a movement thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you go to other animals, I think you can get picked off pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, Elk is a huge movement thing. I do think there is some merit to breaking your outline and whatnot. Um, And I do think the more kind of, I guess drab is the word I would use where, you know, the kind of the olives, Mm -hmm. that's, if I was going to go with that, that's probably what I would do.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I've just, I have to, some more so with sight and camo, some other species than elk, but movement is the key to everything. Yeah. It's the key to everything. Even waterfowl hunting, like don't move, yeah, don't look up, don't, yeah. you know, trying to chicken head your, your eyesight around, trying to find these birds coming. It's literally every animal movement is the key. And turkeys, you know, I love turkey hunting so much. We, we've,
3: you know, hunt those ghouls turkeys down in Mexico and, you know, they're not the sharpest tool in the shed, but. They're still a turkey and they pick up movement like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Like they can see movement incredible.
0: Like more of the mule deer?
3: I think having the eyes on the side of their head, it's like they're just right. constantly now. Are they as acute as mule deer? Like, oh, that thing's going to kill me? No. Gotcha. Especially not our goulds. Mm-hmm. Um, do they see it? I would argue that maybe the turkey does see it, whereas the mule deer sees it and the mule deer's Gone. like, no, oh, yeah. yeah, to me, a big, mature mule deer and even a doe in certain circumstances, they're pretty hard to trick. Like they're they're wound tight. like their program yeah. is tight. Is that uh, the
0: hardest animal to kill you think or coos deer? I was I was curious, you've hunted a bunch in the west.
3: I, I don't think coos deer are that tough to kill compared to like a big old muley. I honestly think muleys like, have like a sixth sense like mm-hmm. i i think they have something about them that makes them so wary now coos are very they pick up on a lot of things but i would argue killing a big mule deer maybe it's where they live maybe it's how long they've been hunted mm-hmm. but i would much rather try and kill a big coos than if if you said jay your life depended on it do you want to you have to kill a big mule deer, or you have to kill a big coos. I think I can go kill big coos first. Hmm. That's interesting. Really. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think the mule deer is kind of king as far as, you know, being the acute animal of like, all their senses are on, you know, crack. On point all the time. Yeah, and they're on yeah. Crack. my favorite part of the podcast like, <laughs> we're talking about mule deer being, the king, <laughs> but so. his
2: drive comes from <laughs> archery. Open. <laughs> well, archer I'm just you. Like clear about yeah. that. Yeah.
3: I I love bugling bulls. I love gobbling turkeys. Um, I love coos deer. I think because I like the terrain that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you know they're in kind of varying terrain. But I love I love coos, um, but mule deer so in the last handful of years i've always loved mule deer but i've really started getting a passion for the dark antlers of sonora and mm-hmm. you know yeah going down there with you last year like those dark antlers especially on those big ones there's they're pretty special
2: and there's some there's just, the sonoran desert it's just it's special in general yeah you know you see it mule, big mule, they're walking through Pattaya cactus and those big Saguaro cactuses. It's it it just, shouldn't it's, even be possible. Yeah, it like, looks, you look at it. Them it and doesn't look right. It's right. It's, it, it looks so out of place. It's so captivating to see that because, you know, we always see them walking through the Aspens with snow on the ground. And right. Mm-hmm. It's just, if you see them walking through a Pattaya cactus patch and giant swirrows in the background, it is wild. And, and their antlers are sense. so dark.
3: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a cool, you yeah. know, cool animal.
1: Yeah. I want to kind of know, like, where did you develop your passion for glassing? Like how that yeah,
3: morph in, so like, your optics yeah, choices? Yeah, and so I don't think I you
0: think can th- be born in Arizona without it, exactly. right? That, that is exactly. an, an, all, all an Arizona, Arizona thing, thing, for sure. Arizona. I,
3: I think my love for coos deer hunting and to, to try and be successful at, at a, you know, killing a coos, finding coos, I can remember when I got my first pair of Zeiss 10 by 40 um that was my first pair of good binoculars. Uh, I was working at a taxidermy shop in college, um, and a, a client that would come in um, actually had a pair of, I forget what they were, but they were stolen out of my truck, and this guy was so gracious, still know him to this day. He's like, Jay, take my Zeiss 1040s. Hmm. So I used them for like a couple months, and I just loved them. So that was the first pair that I ended up buying. Did you buy them from him, or did you buy a brand-new pair? No, I, I bought a used pair. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then I, the I remember buying uh, the first pair of uh, Swarovski 10 by 42, I guess SLCs. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we had the tripod mount that had the little um, elastic strap or mm-hmm. the Velcro, I guess, over it. And I remember Darn and I looking through these, and we're like, whoa. We can, we can actually start finding some stuff with these. And we started using tripods. Um, before with the, ten, the Zeiss 10s, I was just on my knees. Mm-hmm. And, and then once I started going to the tripod, anybody that's gotten into glassing that like started out hand-holding and then kind of morphed into using a tripod, I don't think there's anybody that won't say that they haven't been more successful at finding game. So for me, the more successful that I got in, let's take hunting out of it, just finding animals, the more like almost addiction I had to wanting to find glassy knobs and points and really focus my, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm still to this day, I'm, I'm old school, pull out the old, I can still read a topo, you can <laughs> give me coordinates, any one of you, if you're ever stuck, you can text me coordinates, I will be there. And more than now, we can plug it into our yeah, go on maps. Yeah. But a lot of the young guys, they don't even know how to plot on a topo map. Yeah, I lived by that. Like, where can I find glassing points? Where can I go up this ridge? How can I base my hunt for the following day off of this map? Okay? Mm-hmm. Where can I get the optical advantage? And that became something that Dar and I, my hunting partner, we got so into trying to figure out where to be at daylight, where to be during the middle of the day. So that kind of, that's kind of a long answer to how did I get to being addicted to glassing? But I think like anybody that's had some success, had some open country and terrain to do it, it becomes where you just, you crave it. You just want more and more and more and it's awesome because you get to see all kinds of stuff.
2: And as you get good at glassing too, like I'm not going to at all say I'm as addicted to glassing like you and Cody is, you know, glassing guru guru, and all this stuff, but like you really start to pay attention to how much more successful you are as you get better at glassing. It's like a direct one for one return. Yeah. You know what I mean? As you get mm-hmm. better and as you know what you're looking for and all this stuff, you start to look back and you go, okay, well, yeah, that wouldn't have happened unless I knew what I was doing. You get to use the glass as the work as the workload absolutely you know because you can only do so much as a person you can only you can only kill what you find is what Mm -hmm. brady always says it's like it it really is a direct one for one payoff so it gets addicting because it's you can you can quantify it
3: yeah you actually see results i used to be the type that you know just walk ridges and just bouncing and jumping (laughs) deer and that and you know i th- i still think there's some value in that where you're walking and covering country getting to a new glassing point glassing moving to the country glassing but you know spending time and looking at the basin before you blow through it you know or saying i know there's a big deer here we're going to stay here all day yeah um but you know i played competitive golf <clears throat> you know i know you, you I think all everyone here I think has played competitive sports from what I understand. We're all competitive. It's fun when you're glassing either sitting next to your buddy or on an opposite Ridge, or even if he's in a completely different place and you it's like it's not competition. It's fun, but it's like, yeah. Hey, how many deer did you see? Well, as we started getting better at glassing, it was kind of fun to be like, we glassed up 37 deer this morning. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. We glassed up 72 deer. How many yeah. did you glass up? It's never been like, well, I saw this or I saw that, but it's more been like pushing us, yeah. getting, trying to get better and better and better. I think and, yeah.
0: everybody's had the experience where you climb up onto a knoll. And 20 you get, bucks to the first,
2: $20, yeah, $20 the first or, spotted.
3: Either
0: that or you and your buddy are sitting there together and you sit down and independently without saying anything to the other person, both of you are trying to find yeah, the person. I the got, deer. Absolutely. And I and got both, deer. Yeah, both of you. Yeah, I got deer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and if your buddy's got deer, you're like, shit, yep. I <laughs> he, mean, like, he got
2: me today. Tell me who hasn't had the experience. You pull up you know, the day before the hunt, and it's, hey, $20 is the first buck. Yeah, everybody you know, does. Like, yeah, who hasn't had that I experience? I know.
3: You know, I will say, you mentioned the glassing guru, um, Cody Nelson. If you guys haven't had a chance to actually get out in the field and glass with him, he is absolutely phenomenal.
2: He, um, he literally is the glassing guru. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I believe I coined that term for you him did. because I was like you're the guru like yes. you are the glassing yeah. guru and he's phenomenal at it and it, you know we've had so much fun over the years i don't know if you guys know i was in his i was in cody's wedding yeah, oh, yeah. and known him a long time and um he's he's an amazing amazing person mm-hmm. um but he's a fantastic
2: glasser you so, did you did coin that name for him yeah. and it's it is has stuck because yeah, all of Co- us are like dude yeah, how do it? you know all this shit yeah <laughs> and, and i mean I will tell you that guy
3: can glass. I mean, hmm. he can sit and pound some country. So awesome. before my
1: muzzleloader elk hunt, I went down to Arizona and spent some time hanging out with Cody. We just went out and glassing, doing some videos. Like you used to talk about, when he's sitting on his optics, oh, buddy. he's dialed. Oh buddy. Like we were looking at crazy distances and he's still picking up coups. Yeah. Like middle of the day coups. And I'm not oh, talking yeah. about early morning coups are walking around. These are bedded coups. Yeah. And they're tiny and he's still be able to pick them out because he just knows what he's looking for. Yeah. He has the right optic for the right he has you a know, situa- real sharp eye, he, can pick he, has
3: up. A, he has a really good ability to stay really focused and kind of like, you know, I talk about laser focused. Like, sometimes I think glassers you get those people that are just like OCD, like they're, you think they would not be good, but they're almost like they're just, they are focused in their binos. I yep. could
2: use a little bit of that. <laughs> I've been known to just like... Quick one Give over. a quick no, scan. No. <laughs> Nothing
3: there. <laughs> yeah.
0: What is your process for glassing? Do you have any tips or tricks for glassing? Like
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm
3: I'm a real proponent of getting as low to the ground as you possibly can. Um, staying as still as you possibly can. Um, the reason for that is stability, lack mm. of vibration, being able to provide your eye with the ability to not have things going on outside of it. You know, you've seen the the, the eye cups, you've seen the shirt over the head, all of that's great, but getting low to the ground, reducing vibration as much as possible, you know, from the tripods we used to use to to the tripods now, I tend to go with a little bit heavier tripod Mm -hmm. than maybe some people just because I'm not willing to give up some weight, I want the stability. Um, I think the more stable you can be, the more Um, the more you will see because your eyes, my eyes, I guess I can only speak for my eyes. My eyes are more comfortable. They're not straining. There's no vibration. I'm getting as low as I can. People ask, do you like stools? They're okay. If you're more comfortable on a stool, okay. If that will allow you to sit there and glass longer, okay. I like a, a pad, sit on a pad and get as low as you can. Um, you use, don't extend the legs as much as possible. T- try not to use the center post. Hmm. Um, not that you can't use the center post and there's times when maybe you can just pop it up and you need to, you know, get a little bit elevation, but I would use the legs when you can use the center post as a last option. Um, some of the best glassers I've been around sit, some of the best glassers I've been around, um, They don't like to sit with other people they like to sit off by themselves and they like to focus Hmm. um very rarely you know we talk about that competitive sitting with Mm -hmm. your buddy very rarely do i glass with someone Mm -hmm. i most of the time i like when dar and i go hunt he goes there i go there we don't want to be next to each other because we figure we can cover twice as much ground splitting up okay um and i feel like when you're glassing with a group of eight people you're not really focusing. And I think to be a great glasser, the best ones I've been around, have a great ability to sit and focus for hours at a time. Yep. I think that's the key.
1: I've talked a lot about that with when I'm talking with Cody, but I described it as like, it's the mental side of glassing. Absolutely. It literally is. Like if you're sitting there having a conversation, if you're having a conversation back and forth, I'm not focusing on the task at hand. I'm literally not. You might think you're glassing, but you're Scanning. Not glassing. It's you're kind of scanning. If you're thinking about what I'm going to eat that night at camp, or what's family doing back at home, your job is to find an animal. That's right. You need to be laser focused, like I right. said earlier. The mental side of glassing. That's why I, I like to glass away from people as well. Like yeah. Zoning in at the task.
3: Yeah. And 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 glass like your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. I say that to people all the time. I also say like when you're when you find an animal that you want to hunt, I go about it. I want to act like that animal can shoot back at me. And if you think about it like Mm -hmm. that, a lot of the things that you do will be different.
0: Yeah, a lot more deliberate. I mean, Mm -hmm. hope they don't shoot back at us. But (laughs) if you
3: go at it like that, and I've never been in the military, my hat's off to the guys that are. um, I think I probably would have been a pretty good guy in the military. I probably have that mind of like, they're going to be shooting at me. What do I need to do? That's kind of not glassing. That's more of a tactic of like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. always thinking, if that thing could shoot at me, what would I do different? Oh, I'd probably be down on this side of the ridge. I probably wouldn't get up. I probably wouldn't clank the tripod leg, like a lot of things.
1: That's a good tip. That is a good
0: tip. That That's is a really good tip. tip.
2: It, shows, the, it just shows me how bad I am at this, actually listening to you well, talk and, and, and it's always when next when, to somebody. When we do these podcasts, uh, it's
0: funny how many different scenarios I'm playing through in my head as you're talking, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I can think of... This one overlook where I'm wildly uncomfortable and I sit there for hours and hours, kind of, you know, one butt cheek on a rock and kind of cockeyed trying to make, you know, the best of the setup that I've got. And I think if I'd have just taken 10 minutes to like, set up a little bit better you know if i've got to build a little platform for me to sit down on put a flat rock and just sit down and be comfortable i'd be, be
2: way more effective well you're ahead of me i'm next to <laughs> people i'm He's talking already one ridge over i'm standing i'm you know yeah i'm, just yeah, I'm th- thinking so this scenario but
3: everybody has their own style like I'm a lot so of things um one more thing i'll add on being successful this comes from coos deer hunting is i always say don't and archery hunters are going to scoff at this but don't get within 300 yards of a deer you want to kill. If you find a deer that you want to kill, do not get inside of 300 yards of him. Stay outside. And on cooster specifically, if I can stay 400 yards from them, I can get away with a lot more hmm. than if I try and get to 150 yards. If you come cooster hunting with me, we have done something <laughs> majorly wrong or something has gone awry if your shot is under 300 yards hmm. now our terrain allows us to be further away right because you've got the canyons and such but it's one tip for like the guys that are going out on my diy coos hunts in mexico try and stay at least 300 yards away from that animal and you will be more successful at actually harvesting them
2: i i completely agree with that and being an archery hunter trail, you're the same way. We've talked about this. I would prefer to be like 50, 60 yards out with a bun. Oh, you can you, just, you get yeah, away you. with drawing, settling. It's a lot calmer. I know it's a further shot, and a lot of people, you know, effective range, whatever you want to get into. But when you get into that 20 or even like under 30, there's so much pressure on the animal that the animal feels Absolutely. things are chaotic. You feel more chaotic. When you breathe in, you make rush. Feel it. Like things are rushed, things are. Your, your shooting lanes are smaller, everything's tighter, everything has to be that much more perfect. When you're 50, 60 yards, you have that little Buffer. bit Buffer. Yeah, you just have mm-hmm. that Cushion. little bit. So if I ever if I ever could pick like where I want to be on an animal with a bow in my hand I want 60 yards. And so That's that, where I, I wanna mean
3: be. it's the same principle with a rifle or with a bow. You have that cushion area. Yeah. You probably also have that with different animals. Maybe an antelope or a mule deer you're going to treat a little bit different. You oh, want yeah. a cushion For to be sure. a little bit different. Yeah. I think that comes with experience where you kind of know. Yeah. yeah. I've well, pushed I, my limit and spooked them so many
2: times. I've, I'm going to stay like right I've here. I've been in tight where things are great. But things get chaotic because then in your mind you're like I'm too tight I'm too things are gonna I have to it has to happen now because we're we're too close. And you almost like, press it has it. to happen yeah. yeah. So you almost force it. We're 60. You're like oh, I'll, I'll wait until the next shooting lane or I'll wait until he truly stops or I'll wait. You know, you just have that little bit of pressure off of you with that little bit of buffer. And gun hunting's the same way, hundred percent same. Like way. gun hunting's entirely the same way. Trying to get in under 200 yards with a gun, why? Yeah. Like you, now you're you're in too tight.
3: Yeah, and a lot of times now you're in too tight and now you're going to have to take a shot that might result in a bad shot. Exactly. Rather than be out a little ways where they have no idea you're there.
2: Truly focused, uh, truly uh, Our you know, idea.
3: Our goal up. is to kill them. Yeah, if if we, we find something and we say that's our yeah. buck, yeah. our goal is to get that
2: animal. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, know what? the other thing, sorry to cut you off, Brady, Fucking just pull the trail on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I'm him. guilty of it though too <laughs> all the time. But uh, the other thing though too is... Now I forgot what I was going to say. This is great. My bad. This is great.
0: Now, Brady, you'll remember.
2: Now, yeah, I just felt bad about that. That's all right. Yeah, anyway. Do jump in?
1: Go ahead, Brady. So would you say the same thought is, like you said, you want to be close to, to shoot or whatever, but do you like to be a little bit further away for that cushion reason when you're setting up some of your glassing points just to give that animal a little more comfort Absolutely. room so if you do move, you do make a mistake, it's I not going to see
3: Bernie. you? I you, Brady. Yeah. Why are you getting so close? Yeah, terrain's (laughs) going to
1: dictate. Sometimes terrain is going to dictate, but but
3: get out away. Find the animal you're after. Stay away from that animal. We're Mm -hmm. we're trying to be efficient. Yep. Trying to be effective, efficient. Like our goal is not to get in there tight unless you're an archery hunter. Our goal is to say that's the one we want. Let's do everything efficiently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a huge tip. Like yeah, and I love even, the fact you said that.
0: Even as an archery hunter, it's picking your your moment. It's yeah. it's it's staying as far away as you possibly can until that animal is in a position yeah. that is the best. I think yeah. some
3: of the best rifle hunters are people that cut their teeth on archery. They think like an archer hunter. Mm-hmm. They take those skills and what they've learned with that, and let's say. Or maybe they hunt both, but someone that's really good at archery hunting—that's, I mean, Makes they're going to be arm. a good rifle. Hunter. That's Brady. Yeah.
2: That's why. That's why he's so good. At yeah, he's rifle.
1: Dedicated, hardcore as yeah. you come, both. But you think differently as over. A,
2: you do think differently as an archer. It's just a you know you have you to. Have to yeah. So when you take that into a gun, but what I was going to say too is like. You know we're not we're not shooting whitetail that are known to duck strings and all that stuff though too you know what i mean to to make a point of that like you said to know to know what you're doing to know how to be effective and it is that get in as tight as you can but not too tight right so that's that that buffer zone like we're talking about because we're not shooting whitetail that are ducking strings or we're not in a tree you know elevated and them not knowing we're there and the other part of it too is these animals like they're their only job literally only job every day is to survive that is their only job they feel the pressure they feel it like you humans have an ability to feel pressure too we're not nearly as good at it obviously but like you can feel
3: it's kind of like that buck in Mexico last year when you guys were in tight on that buck we didn't have a choice because it was so thick but But weren't you sitting there and you were like this buck knows we're here
2: he knew we were there and and he felt the pressure, yeah, he, and we were dead quiet. We were sitting. We were. I was actually sitting at the base of a Pattaya, and he was coming right at us. I thought it was going to be like an archery kill, but he knew something just wasn't. I think he thought you right. were
3: other deer and were kind of like, I'm going to push this doe over there and come check it out is yeah. what I
2: honestly think. It, but they, they feel it. You guys all have been in that situation. I don't like they, being within 20
0: yards of an yeah, animal, especially it. with a they bow. I mean, it's, it's a chip shop, but I also don't like the, the rush. I, just, the, I the don't pressure. like the vibe of it. It feels intense way more intense
3: there's so much more room for air than when you're out there and have a buffer Mm -hmm. when you're
2: in tight anything can go wrong and that's where like the conversations all the time about shot distance and all that stuff that's where it's it's almost like you're hurting yourself for no reason when all these people that are like well why'd you shoot from 300 yards It's so far well, actually, that's a way more ethical shot than 100. Because okay. when you get into 100, things go awry, things yeah. get rushed, then you can't lay down if you like have you the want ability. to. If you have the ability. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sure. situation dictates everything. Mm-hmm. But if you have that situation and you can shoot them from 400 yards with a gun or you can shoot them from 60 with a bow, like why? What's, what's What else do you need to, yeah. to pressure the situation? You yeah, know?
0: I've heard a lot of people say, especially with archery equipment, that the animal's more relaxed that you know, a 60-yard shot. Then you know a 20 because i think a 20 it's reaction time whereas yeah. 60 you know they may just stand out there and kind of let it let it hit them and you know they're a lot less aware yeah i mean if i if i go to my local archery range and i think i've got one lane here that's 80 yards and i think about what the target looks at 80 yards versus what it looks at 20 yards i'm way more aware when i'm at 20 yards of like you know a bird that's flying by any kind of movement you know my dog running around whatever it is but you know i back it up to 80 it just seems like it's I don't know. There's a lot less going on for yeah. the animal.
2: I completely seems, it seems agree. Like,
0: I wanted to go back to glassing real quick. When you, um, what's your process? I'm just curious. Somebody that's a really good glasser, like when you walk up to a knoll, you've got a spot picked out. Have you made, you know, have you made judgments before you get there? As far as to like, you know, the direction of the sun coming up, where you're looking into. Are you making, you know, what is your process? Are you looking at, you know, escape terrain first and then you know, starting left to right or like, what is your process?
3: So I would tell you that most every time I'm going to a glassing point because I've chosen that glassing point as where I want to be at daylight. So I'm walking up there with a headlamp. I've chosen that particular point for a reason. I've used my map. I've used the aerial. I've used the terrain features where I wanna be able to choose that knob. I wanna have the benefit of the sun coming over my shoulder and shining on that hill, illuminating, whether it's rams, deer, you know, bucks, bulls, whatever mm-hmm. I'm looking for. So a lot of times I want to be on a glassing point where I'm looking with the sun at my back in the mm-hmm. morning at first light. So I've chosen that ridge or that knob like very, I don't do things very random. Most everything I do in life is calculated. It does it's no different with the glassing point that I choose. I wanna be there so that I can use my advantage, optical advantage, altitude advantage, sun advantage to be looking on those hillsides that the sun is illuminating, right? Mm-hmm. Different times of year is different, but we all know that first hour when the sun is illuminating, stuff seems to pop to your eye in the binos. So that's a period of time where I can take advantage of using that sun. But then being a coos deer hunter has really taught me this, that depending on early season to late season, but all of the time of the year, the coos deer is going to be in the sun first hour, depending on how hot it is, their next focus, they've been feeding, they've been chasing does, they're all thinking, where am I gonna go bed up? Where am I gonna get shade? People say, well, does this account, does this happen on a four season mule deer hunt? Yes, is it if there's eight inches of snow on the ground, yes. Those animals, they live their whole life out there and they focus on shade. Can you find a bedded animal out in the sun? Absolutely. But their whole course of their life is feeding, staying alive, getting some sun, but then going to shade. So I like to pick a glassing knob that I can get up and glass with the sun at my back. But then I like to have the ability of, okay, whatever I'm looking at, where am I predicting that they're going to go shade up? Hmm is it tree line patch you know if we hunt a lot of burns where there's burns and then there's a mosaic and like they're probably going to bed in that tree patch that's the only shade they have or is it is it a contour north facing east facing northeast facing sometimes even northwest facing with the right um sun angle but Then I almost start predicting which way are they going to go? They're going to go to that shade patch or this shade patch. Mm -hmm. Then as, as the morning progresses, then I'm starting to really look into the shaded areas. And I feel like on my Instagram account, I've like beat this (laughs) to pieces, but it seems like every day I get a new person saying, Hey, how how would you do this i'm like shade i've watched your instagram and i'm
0: i'm I'm asking the same question but i think it's there's i think it's important to hear it long form and it's it's been good to hear you talk about it because i mean even as i'm listening right now it's resonating in a way that it may not just looking at it on instagram so
3: all animals in my opinion ungulates you know you've you've got sheep that that we hunt mostly Mm -hmm. sheep elk deer they're going to want to go to shade They're going to want to go to thick shade for cover. They're going to want to go to thick shade for comfort. Okay. So it's almost a prediction of like, I'm going to use the sun here. I'm going to let it light up this hill. Then I'm going to start really picking apart the aspects of that hill. You could have a south-facing slope that has shade or has a cut and you can find those shady spots. So people misunderstand what I say when I say you'll find more Coos bucks on north, northeast, and east-facing slopes than west and south. I believe that. That's not to say you don't look at a south-facing slope. They'll be on a south-facing slope, but they're still gonna go find shade, period. Mm -hmm. So no matter which, even on a west-facing slope, they're gonna find shade. Yeah. With Coos, it's taught me that most of them biggest mature coos deer are on north slopes northeast slopes and east facing slopes why you go out a perfect thing to do is go out there in the middle of the summer or go out there in september october when it's hot and say if i was gonna try and lay in the coolest spot where would i lay Mm -hmm. i've had to be out here all summer long where would i be well they're going to be on the where the most shade is. So I tell people find the most predominant shade on the hill every day. Which part of the hill is the most shady? That's where I am going to look for animals bedded first.
0: That's good.
1: And, and not to get on a tangent on maps, but that's what I always harp on. People can do too. Like when you're going in the field, you can mark data when you're out there. Hundred. You start marking those data points. Like you're saying, east facing, wherever they're going to be. You start dropping waypoints all the time. Start then going back and analyzing where you're seeing these animals, or is it on a north-facing, east-facing, what elevation they're at during that time of year, you start to collect a big data set. Yeah, and you I,
3: get what he asked for earlier, what is it about big bulls, yeah. but you're talking about focusing on animals yep. and you're saying you're dropping waypoints. Dropping waypoints, exactly and where, where I'm seeing data, them. oh, look, that's where they're at.
1: That's where they're at. And
3: he's, over time,
1: yeah, you might have a sample size of one right away, but over time that sample size grows. You realize where you're seeing animals, where you're seeing does, where you're seeing bucks, where you're seeing bulls. Then you do the same thing where you're killing animals. Then you can start to de- develop a trend. Like when I'm hunting this state, I'm finding them at that aspect, at that elevation during this particular week. Yeah, other times of the year might be different, but you can start to analyze all this data and you
3: collect it all. And all
1: of a sudden you have a data set of maps of animals, right. of kill spots.
3: For instance, you might be in a high country basin, Colorado, and in the summer they're laying right out in the wide open mm-hmm. in the sun. Well, why are they doing that? Well, bugs. Mm-hmm. They just want to be where they can see. Okay, you have a four season tag. Those bucks might've migrated, yes, Mm -hmm. but we've been in lots of basins where they're in the same basin. Summer, four season, Mm -hmm. they haven't moved yet. Maybe they're not laying out in the sun. Maybe they're over by the aspen patch or by that mosaic of trees because they need a little bit of cover. Are they in that cover because they're trying to get shade? Yeah, but they're also probably trying to hide, Mm -hmm. right? So you start noticing that stuff. Start
1: developing little trends and you can extrapolate that. And what's that gonna look like in a different unit? Can I use that same data because it has the same terrain features, same habitat, same vegetation as over here? And then it can benefit you when you're going out of state or even in your own state. It's a lot of cool things you can do. That's why I'm glad you brought all that stuff up.
0: Yeah. Shade is important. I mean if you think about have you guys seen you've probably all seen like uh, it's this video of a, a lion, I think, or it might be a leopard or a cheetah stalking uh, impala in Africa, and you watch this thing, like, use the shade and the bank, and he's, like, working right along these little thin lines of shade. I mean, animals know that shade equals cover. Absolutely. You know, they they, they know that as well as we do, right? Because when we're stalking, you definitely don't want to put yourself out in the sun. You want to use no. the shade to your advantage. Yeah. You want to hug the corners and, and pick up all the shade that you can, so animals no different. I mean, they, I agree. They find it for, you know, thermoregulation and being cool, especially in the summer when it's hot, but they also use a lot just for cover because they know that they they're gonna blend in instinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's fun to me when I am able to talk with the hunters, either through Instagram or through my podcast mm-hmm. or just people that come hunt with me and guys that have hunted a long time. And I'm like, I'm focusing on shade and they kind of look at me and they're like, and we're talking accomplished hunters they're like you know i never really thought of it like mm-hmm. that i just sit down to glass and just whatever i see see and I'm, I'm like that's great that's great but you can take it to a whole nother level and like what brady's saying with these data points like i've got data points in here too of like i just i've mm-hmm. learned where they're gonna be yeah. and i think all of us with all of our experiences we kind of put away but mm-hmm it's it's fun to kind of have people that have hunted a long time they're like i never really thought to really focus on shade yeah Yeah, and then then they send you a message they're like jay i found a big buck mature big buck and he was in the shade yeah Yeah.
2: that's i don't i don't do the data and stuff like brady does but more over time like in the back of my head i've i've come to realize topography that looks good which you know which way are they going to be using the mountain to go to shade so in the past i've always thought that i don't necessarily have a way of glassing but i do it's what looks good to me topographically of how they would funnel into a piece of shade so i do focus on shade and i focus on like the pieces that look like they would use very easily to just duck into a piece of shade that's what i've always i've always done which essentially is a data set in my you, head you've you, developed a search image for yeah, you yeah, what yeah, you're like, yeah for. i look at a hill and i'm like oh that looks like a but great that, little but that's also path building path confidence
3: shade. you've you've picked those things up and probably had success seeing oh, the yeah. animal you're looking for so your brain registers that like that's confidence yeah, saying that looks good that shade. looks good to me
2: <laughs> funnel yeah. right now, now you
0: now you develop intuition exactly but, but for those that maybe haven't that yeah. haven't really thought about it I get messages. I'm sure you do all the time. How do I find them? Well, yeah. well, we'll go out and glass. Well, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. What, what, so that mean? what am I looking at?
3: Well, and you asked to like, when you go up to a glassing point, I didn't really hit it. Like, am I focusing on if I'm getting to that glassing point, if I potentially spook something, where am I going to see them like escape mm-hmm. routes? Do I hit them with my chest binos and, you know, just kind of hit it real fast and then kind of sneak in. It's typically what I do. I'll get to a spot, and I'll kind of just like, is there anything out in the open, anything easy, anything that should be right here? Okay, no. I kind of slink along and try and set up my tripod. And then what do I do from there? Left or right, you ask all that? I'm looking where the sun is hitting the hill first, Mm -hmm. getting the most light to my eye. What can I pick up? Anything moving. At first light, I'm scanning. I'm, I'm moving quick. I'm scanning what... You're saying places where you've identified as that's a saddle, places where you've seen the them most before, like that spot. looks good. Yeah. When I first sit down for probably the first 30 minutes, I'm looking at the high probability spots, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at where I've learned I see the most, and I'm not going slow. Dar, my hunt part is one of the best classes I've ever been around. He has the amazing ability to glass super slow and he has an amazing ability to pan, scan, pan, 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 pan. Sorry. keep hitting that scanning hard, you know, left, right, right, left, Mm -hmm. up, down. Do I have a left, right? No, I'm just basically sweeping picture like a paintbrush. I'm just sweeping, scanning, looking at saddles, looking here. Just I'm kind of shotgunning. Yeah. Okay. Then I slow down and I start a slow pan. I typically kind of go probably left or right. If It would be a good one to kind of like track. Pay attention. But Mm -hmm. if I had to bet, it would be left or right. I don't think it's consciously left Mm -hmm. or right, but kind of, and then I'll just drop down and I'll pan. And I'm still doing fairly fast, but a lot slower than I was. Mm Mm-hmm then as i start seeing deer and now they're not feeding as much and maybe they're doing a little walking and i can tell hey they're kind of looking for bedding they're kind of, then i start really looking in the shade pockets trying to focus on you know all oh, that buck's been bedded there the whole time yeah. like he already fed in the night in the open when in the bed the does walked
1: right over to him yeah so, you mainly at this point, uh, again, train's going to dictate how far you are away, but
3: are you going binos or are you going spotter? So, I never glass with a spotter ever. Um, I shouldn't say ever. If there's like a basin way off and I'm like, it's too far to see, I might pop my spotting scope and just kind of see. But from a, I'm always glassing with binos and identifying or classifying with a spotter. It's also why I love the twin spotters. That's the next thing, twins. Um, BTX, I have the BTX and the twins. And it's funny how, you know, you go from a 1042, you go to a 1242, 1556, you go to a twins or a BTX. And depending on your terrain, you get those tools that you want to look further. Okay. I think some people, and I am included in this, you get to wanting to look far right away <laughs> instead of looking you put so, your 10s so on the tripod and look with your 10s for a while pop your 15s on now go to the big eyes is kind of how many times do i just pop the big eyes up i'm looking three miles away and i like well, you you got deer yeah where are you looking i'm like "Oh." I'm, he's like you're, you're on a different ranch like you're you're I'm, he's like, we got a good buck right here. You didn't even look for him. That's, that's <laughs> so, me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, I think we're all guilty of uh, I think kind of progressing to look further.
0: I think it's because I've thought about this, actually. So I just got home from Nevada on a deer hunt, and I'm guilty of this. And I think a lot of the times the reason, as I think about it, is is because it's uncomfortable to glass with... So it's it's picking the right tool for the job, right? right. So if I've got a 10-power binocular, it can be... It can be a little bit meticulous to look at things that are closer to me and a little bit uncomfortable because they are so close. Your field of view is smaller. It's almost tedious. So I think my natural tendency is to like raise them up, go out there an extra mile. I feel more comfortable because I can see more. You can scan a little bit. Yeah, I bit. can scan yeah. a little bit. I'm just more comfortable. I yeah. think it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable to glass that close stuff, but it's... I'm guilty of that. And there's a lot of times when I've been out with people and they'll be like, oh, there's a nice buck right here below you, 200 yards. How like, many what? times does that happen? All I mean time. It, it yeah.
3: happens where you're like, he's been laying there the whole time. Yeah. Like, it, like 30 minutes or an hour has gone by and mm-hmm. that buck's been there the whole time and you're looking five miles away. Yeah.
1: You know, back in the day, hunting with Mather a lot. How many, how many animals is Mather spot? All the for time, guys. Yeah, was looking way too far away, that's and he's looking really close.
3: Camera guys are famous, you, and those. you haven't seen anything, and he's like, "What about What these about yeah, with his eyes. Yeah, that? Which is nice. That happens a lot. It actually. does with
2: cameramen, it, it, that's it's kind of it's really funny to think back on it and, and look back on it because yeah, like we hunt with cameramen a lot, obviously doing these originals and things that we do filming these hunts, and we'll be looking so far away, and <laughs> every cameraman, every single one has done it at oh, this yeah. point. Where it's like, what about what about that yeah. right there? Are you looking like, for that? Because he's right I've, yeah,
0: there. Yeah, I've, what? Not, what I've not, not been on a hunt with a camera guy where this didn't happen pretty and regularly. A
3: hundred yards, and they're not even using binos. No, no they're, they're just make, like yeah, eye. Right there. like, there's a hundred one right yards, there. and you're like, oh. And you've shit. been sitting there for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or
0: with the elk, it happens a lot because I'll be looking across basin or something, and they'll be like, "Well, there's one that's coming in right here." I mean, he's literally right there. Yeah and yeah, I'll, I'll miss it because I'm looking too far.
2: Yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah,
0: do you have any other good glassing questions? Or should
1: we? Uh, I just kind of want to know, like, what's your, let's say Coos Mule Deer, ideal optic setup. What binos, what spot are you taking, tripod? Coos Mule Deer combo Can or just like just maybe a, and Mule Deer? Yeah, Coos hunt, what would it be? And then let's say like maybe a Colorado or. Okay, Pepe so hunt.
3: I think the best binocular power ever is a 10 by 42 just if I was just going to say bino for everything, okay? Mm-hmm. For coups specifically, I'm going to go with the 15 power just because of the extra 5 power. I love the 12. Like, I run the 12 NL Swarovskis mostly. My hands always, and even in golf, I had a little bit of shake, and I can still handhold the 12s. Mm-hmm where the 1250 ELs before they made with the wide um, uh, field of view, I, I couldn't hand hold I can't handhold 15s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 15s for coos. I'm going to say 12 for mule deer elk, 10 or 12s. I think the 12 is a great mixture. Now, if I'm hunting country that's tight, I'm going to have a 10 on yeah. my chest.
0: Mm-hmm. What about spotters?
3: What do you like? Spotters, I like to get as big of objective as I can, um, but it comes with a trade-off, sure. weight. Yeah. Um, the 65 millimeters, to me, I have them. I'm always just wanting a little bit more. When you get the 85 and 95, you know, the 80 pluses, that's where I think the spotters are real beneficial. Uh, you know, if you're, obviously, it's totally weight, oriented and if it's backpack oriented and you're really trying to cut weight and you're just trying to be like pop up a small spotter that's one thing typically i'm carrying a 95 when you say
0: more you're talking light right you want a a brighter clearer image
3: yeah i want to be able to zoom in at high power and be able to identify what i'm looking at the whole goal of a spotting scope for me is take it a next step further from what i see on the binos and is that buck a shooter or not does he have a dropper? Does he have an inline? Start being able to, like, score and field judge and mm-hmm. look at eye guards. There's a whole other train of thought of, like, if you're looking at him in the 15s and he doesn't look like a giant, he's not big enough. Yep. But then there's a point when you start getting at, you know, one, we're talking mule there, 190, 200, 205. Mm-hmm. Like, well... Is he a 180 frame, but he's got trash or how? What kind? Oh, he's got three kickers there. I couldn't tell. So that's where the spot air game, I want to be able to zoom in and hold that image as clear as possible. The technology from when I started, like, I think if if I added all of you guys' age up, you might be to how old I am. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But the, the, Right now, it's an amazing time to be a consumer because of all the companies that are continually pushing the envelope in all aspects, not only the binos, spotters, range-finding binoculars, um, image stabilized. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a time to be doing what we're doing. Whereas when way back when I started, you didn't have near the options that we have now. It's exciting to me to know that a young guy can pick up the sport and probably shorten that curve a lot more than, say, if he's using the spotting scope that I used 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Glassy, you good? We can move on, trail. You're thanks sure? For, thanks for asking. You are all right, all right <laughs> yeah, I'm good, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, because I think you... One thing that's coming through pretty clear to me in talking with you, and I've known you a little bit, but you're, you seem to be a very analytical person. You, you look at things very analytically. You're picking things apart. You seem to have a formula for the way that you do things. One of the things that you've done quite a bit on social media is you, uh, you seem to have like a way of breaking down or estimating score of an animal on the hoof. And I wanted to, I wanted if you, uh, if you'd be willing to like talk about, you know, some of those things that you're looking for, whether it's a bull elk, it's a mule deer, coos deer, uh, and some of those formulas that you've kind of worked out and how you use those to estimate score on the hunt. Sure.
3: I think first and foremost, um, I will say I've gotten some criticism, and I think it's, it's, it's warranted uh, of, of being someone that is too analytical and that is maybe placed too much emphasis on score my answer to those people always is in everything i do i want to be credible Mm -hmm. and and i don't know many people that don't right Mm -hmm. i probably take it to another level of like i i the worst thing someone could say is jay is not credible or Jay didn't do what he said he was going to do, or Jay didn't come through, or that would kill me. Like those, I, If people say I'm a dirtbag or whatever they want to say, that's fine. But to say that I didn't you know, follow through or I wasn't credible. So I think my, my desire to want to be able to classify animals and judge animals comes from the fact of I want not only me, but I want people to be able to, to look at animals and have conversations with their buddies and say it was a 180 class buck, or it was a 400 Mm -hmm. 400 inch bull or a 350 bull or a 300 inch bull, not from a standpoint of like that elk is better than this five by six. That will never be 400 inches more from a standpoint of like, I believe we all as hunters owe other hunters and history of our sport, we owe it to those animals and those prior hunters that have harvested things to be able to accurately talk about, I saw a 210-inch deer. Well, if you killed one 40 years ago that's 210 inches, and the deer's really, that you're saying you saw is really 170, in my mind, you're almost doing a disservice to that historical Mm -hmm. animal that was killed. That's kind of a long story to kind of preface... So I kind of really enjoyed over the years, kind of diving in and trying to figure out what makes a certain animal score, what he does yeah. and being an analytical mind, it was kind of easy for me to say, what is the largest percentage of score on a bull elk? What is the largest percentage of score on a mule deer? Like, what am I looking for? Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to kill the biggest, most mature animal, whatever I'm looking for, you would think that we need to be able to say, how do we get there? How does, how does that buck, you know, well, I was just in your office and there's all these giant bucks and antelope and, and all these things. What makes one different than the other? I value each animal, but I also want to say those antlers on their head or those horns on their head, what makes them different than others historically? Mm-hmm. Which is okay.
0: It's a value. I mean, it's a. This goes back to this. The, I mean, I yeah. could get up on my high horse again. I just, it's, it's a value. It's, it's a, it's a talking point. It's historically, we've had a Boone and Crockett Club. We've got Pope and Young Club. It's been. It's, it's part of history. It's of part hunting. of history. yeah. Right.
3: And and a lot of people sometimes they just take. They see this guess the score stuff. They see that and they just they don't get to hear my speech of like, I really value. An animal that you shot, an animal that you shot, an animal that you shot—that might make Boone and Crockett. Every animal has a story, whether it's a two-pointer or a giant. But those animals that are exceptional, we should value them because someday we may not be talking about hunting like we are now. I think so, in
0: anybody that says that they they don't value that animal is, is they're lying, is, are to themselves. lying to themselves. Yes, yes. Are they not? Right. I mean, isn't isn't that like? innately in hunting any i mean you look at look at bambi go to bambi what was bambi's dad he wasn't a pool oh, he, wasn't wasn't he wasn't a two-year-old <laughs> you know what i'm saying he yeah baby <laughs> he wasn't a, i've seen the memes you know he was 185 inch you know yeah. five yeah. by four or whatever but like he wasn't a, a two-year-old buck i mean a two-year-old buck can do the breeding right why wasn't dad, bambi's dad a you know yeah. a two-year-old buck but people like big animals they like big antlers it's impressive it's interesting mm-hmm. you know and i, I don't it I really bugs me that I think we get so hung up on that somebody can't talk about score. It's not that you don't... I mean, I know that you don't talk about score just because it's like, if it doesn't score this, it's not worth anything. It, it's, it's a value. It's it, a value. It, it's it,
3: a classification of how does it rank with other animals historically sure. and not who killed it, not who should get the glory. It's yeah. one. In my, the way I look at it, it's one of God's animals and they should be held on a pedestal. Yeah, That's a special animal. And mm-hmm. as they get big, they're special. And I think there will be a time, maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in your lifetime, but your kids, I don't have kids, lifetime, there will be a time when those animals, some day they're saying, remember when they used to look like that? Mm-hmm. No, I've never seen anything like that. So I take it a step further thinking it's important, go back. With that, I started trying to look at percentage of score with a bull elk, with a coos, With a mule deer, with a sheep. What is it about that animal that makes it score what it does? Mm -hmm. You know, sheep sixty percent is mass, you know, you've got mule deer, you've got forty-four percent is tine length, you've got elk in the forty percent, tine length, tine length, tine length. It tine length seemed on the deer and elk always came back to tine length, Mm -hmm. forks and tine length, okay? What are forks? What are time length? How long do they have to be? Can you say if a mule has 10 inch forks across the board, what's it going to score? You know? So Mm -hmm. that's where I started to try and build like, if you will, with the coos, with the elk, with the sheep, with all of it, like classifications categories. And then what I try and do is train my own eye, whether in the field or looking at a video to say, how much does that score? How much does that score? How much does that score from a guiding and outfitting standpoint? I want to be able to say that's a hundred inch coups. It's 110 mm-hmm. inch coups. That doesn't mean you're going to go over and score it. It's going to be hundred inches and 110 inches. I'm getting as close as I possibly can. We've all had the, the guys around hunting camp or whatever. that say, "Oh, I saw a 400 inch bull and you're like, really? How long were his tines? I couldn't tell you <laughs> how long were his main beams? Couldn't tell you how wide. Couldn't tell you. Yeah. It's so. What what, but, what tips and tricks do you
0: have for estimating, like on the hoof? It's like if you see a bull elk and you're looking at main beam length, how do you tell the difference between a bull that's got 60-inch beams and one that's got
3: 45? Okay, so when the bull's head is down, mm-hmm. right, a mature bull elk. Now, that, one of the hard parts with all the animals is at different places where they're at, they have different body sizes. So body size for anybody out there listening, you have to be able to kind of have a benchmark of body size of where you're at, right? Because mm-hmm. we've all seen bulls that weigh 200 pounds more than over in this area where they're 200 pounds lighter or a mule there that's, you know, hundred pound difference. Those body sizes, ear sizes, all those anatomical characteristics, measurements can screw you up. Yeah. Body size. How many times has some, someone shot a lone ram that's all by themselves, they think is a giant and they get up there and they realize it's a small little bodied ram and he looks big, but he's not.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, the, the, I guess the question is how do you, what was the question?
0: Well, like, so if, I'm just trying to give people a base. So if you're looking in a, and okay. you know, myself included For, you know, and probably a lot of people that are coming from, you know, you, you ask West the main, main, back beam, head, right. yeah, main beam length, okay. tine length, like what are, what are some measurements? Okay. You know, so added.
3: one of the things I use is from the top of an elk's back to the, to the hoof when they're standing on the ground is depending on the bull is going to be somewhere between 52 and 56 inches measured 50 to 56 I would say you know depending on the elk but if that bull elk's head is down and it's feeding and it's feeding we've all seen them in that position where they're feeding you want that beam to come up and over the hump in other words break the plane of their back gotcha okay if it's underneath the plane of their back, can we picture mm-hmm. that? I wish we could put up a picture or something. Yeah, but, well,
0: we can. We, can, uh, we, we Okay, we can do
3: break that plane. Mm-hmm. If it's under that plane, it's going to be under 50 inches. If it's over that plane, it's going to be over 50 inches. We've all heard the people say, oh, the main beam was scratching its butt. Can't happen. <laughs> Never happened in the history of the world. Like, even the longest beams out there, 65 inches, like, It gets right back to like the haunches, haunches. but never can. Like, yeah, if they turn their head all the way back and do that, but like just a bull elk tilting his head back is not going to happen. But um, I use anatomical characteristics to break down. I use the the tip of the nose to the burr, typically from what I've measured is 16 inches. So when you know that measurement from the burr to the tip of the nose, if you know that measurement when they're turned to the side you can kind of measure with your eye okay that to there is 16 right so take that point to the tip you know is it longer than that yeah Mm -hmm. it's longer and it tips up okay okay maybe that's 17 maybe that's 18. 18. gotcha in general like um on a bull elk point length is everything Mm In order for a big bull to be big, the the percentage of score is point length, main beam, mass, and spread. Spread is the least percentage-wise important factor of a bull elk score. Point length is the majority, okay? So long points. If you're looking for bull elk, you want long points. Mm -hmm. You want as many points as possible because point length is your number one then you want long beams. Then you want mass, then you want spread. Spread on mule deer, spread on coos, spread on elk is the last thing that I'm concerned about. Now, with that being said, if you have a wide buck or a wide bull, that's also making the beams, if the beams wrap and come around and they come out and you get a lot of distance and they're wide, you're also building space gotcha when you shoot things that are narrow when you shoot a narrow animal the beams are shorter yeah they come and wrap around but they're shorter because it's a smaller area yeah it doesn't if it's come out wide at the the the, the perpendicular point between mm-hmm. the main beams and it's really wide but all of a sudden it starts coming down and coming up you're building inches so your main beams are getting longer right gotcha so I don't want to say that spread does not matter. But it can be an indication it, of how the length of the main being. Watch out if you're trying to shoot something big, watch out for shooting narrow stuff. I've seen big narrow stuff, but I've seen a, lot, a lot, lot bigger, wider stuff that's big. Right. Well, that
0: makes sense. And, I hadn't really and thought then
3: about it. Mass hides length on every animal and every and on a bighorn sheep and on every animal. You have a pensely horned. Any any ideas on how to how to estimate mass? Like Um, in relation to like the
0: width of the eye or...
3: No, no. I've never really found anything other than just measuring a lot of animals and using my own eye and and mm then scoring them. Yep. And I love to score animals, not from a, I want to score it to see what it scores. I want to score it to see how much mass total does it have? Does it have over 30 or under 30? For elk, 30 is kind of that magic number. Yep. A lot of our bulls fall in that 25... To 28 range, you start getting 29, 30, 31, 32. You're starting to get heavy. Mm-hmm. When you get heavy, he- mass hides length. So you gotta watch that. I've shot stuff that I didn't think was as big. It's super heavy. Mule deer coos, all the uh, rams, and you get up there and you're like, oh, it's super heavy. These points are way longer than I thought. Whereas if you have something that's pencilly, yep they're there that it's gonna be weaker mass and and it's it's gonna appear long but it won't be as long
0: interesting
1: so you don't know this jay i never told you this but you know that muzzle or elk tag this year we're talking about scoring talking about your scoring videos so right here people won't be able to see it but i can show them these are all your these are all your videos i have them screenshotted i I have every little tidbit of information I thought was valuable i can sit here and keep scrolling i have a folder for all the animals. All the animals. I have the mule deer ones. I have elk ones. And so all, all the little highlight points, I would screenshot that, and then when I was out there scouting the summer, I was trying to test myself.
3: Is exactly? By looking
1: at this on my phone because I thought that was so valuable. Like obviously can't take Instagram offline, but I could screenshot little bits, put it in a folder, so help me
3: learn. That's awesome. That is so, so. All that stuff was very valuable. Years to me. ago, before go it. hunt, I wrote an article on elk scoring. I wrote an article on scoring bighorn sheep. I wrote an article for Coos. I don't think I've done one for Mule Deer, but I felt like it was a real comprehensive article with great photos, and then that's kind of what I've tried to take to Instagram mm-hmm. to try and help people get better. And I have had so many people on direct messages, not tons of comments, but mm-hmm. privately, privately say that what I'm doing on Instagram has helped them so much. And again, that's where I base off if what I'm doing is working, Mm -hmm. if I'm getting messages saying, Jay, I held off on this buck because of this, this and this, and I shot this buck because of it, that to me is a win.
1: It's a valuable service.
3: And I thank you
1: because it helped me a lot because I don't know anything about elk but I had a special tag Other and than I are the greatest
0: to, animal on the planet oh, easy, easy, tra- <laughs> easy trail <laughs> easy trail <laughs> I love
2: it from the entertainment aspect I love when you post the guest the scores and you just go into into the comments and you you realize how far apart it's people un- are I mean on Mueller can be 60 70 inches I, it's unbelievable how far apart some of these people are on guess the score and they are like dead serious about literally putting in their comments g1 g 2s with this that, like right. literal measurements and they know what they're doing but then you look at theirs as opposed to somebody else's and it's 40 inches different
3: yeah i, I do think it's, it's so funny, funny
2: on those guess the scores
3: when we're out in the field they're guessing way high yeah but when their name is associated if it was <laughs> if, if we didn't have the person's name i guarantee you it would be that's I think, funny. and it, it's okay. People are con- more conservative because their name is attached it, yeah. they mm-hmm. don't want to overscore it, which is fine. That's really a win. That's sure. what I'm trying to do is make mm-hmm. people more accurate. I just wish we could do it when a guy says, I saw a 400-inch bull. It's like, well, was he probably 350? I
0: didn't think about that, but that's funny. The that's
2: entertainment a good, a good aspect point. is fantastic.
0: I mean, let me ask you, so if you, you're out on the landscape and you look at an animal and you, you're trying to figure out what its course? are you just studying that animal and then you're kind of going with your gut or are you actually pulling out your phone and you're saying, okay, that G1 is this long, that G2 is this long, I think he's this wide, I think he has this much mass,
3: and you're adding it up. So first I have what I call air judge. I, yeah. I probably stole that from someone, um, so it's not proprietary information, but I air judge. Mm-hmm. What is my eye? what's my guess? Tell it's me. 180 class, 200 yep. class, you know, 390 class, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Then that's when I use estimating actual measurements. So I literally on my phone, I used to, back, I said I guided 20 years, and okay, back before phones like this, <laughs> when we had, before that was flip phones, before that we didn't have phones. Uh, the good old days. Uh, yeah, yeah because, <laughs> um, I would actually have my hands would be covered where I'd carry a pen with me. And I'd you be, write it on the back of your hand? I'd write. Huh. Um, G1, G2, G3. Yeah. Score. So I measure up the points. If it's a typical six by six and it looks generally the same, I could score one side. Then I got, oh, I can add this. But a lot of times I'd write, add it up, double it. You can get in trouble when you double. Sure. Okay. Because if you're off one way or another, especially if you're guessing too high and you doubled it, well, you just doubled it on both sides. Now your margin of error goes way up. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um... I've trained myself and I love it. I love doing it with all kinds of animals to just try and say, is that a 170 class? Is that Mm -hmm. a 190 class? Then I go to the measurements, I add it up and then see how close I am. Well, you know, it looks like a 190 buck, but I keep adding these up and I'm getting 184. Like it looks 190, but I cannot get it numbers wise to 190. Yep and you just kind of push yourself and try and train yourself in that regard.
0: Did you do a lot of shed hunting when you were younger?
3: That's the thing, everyone asked me that. No, I didn't. Because um,
0: And I bring that up because I think some of the people that I know that are the best at estimating are guys that are picking up sheds. And yeah, they're, they're, they're throwing they're pick- a tape on it and they know exactly what a 18 inch absolutely. Royal looks like. They know what a 16 inch front looks like. Now yeah. I've
3: scored a ton of, yeah. like I when I worked at the taxidermy shop in in college, um i worked several jobs one of them was working at tax numbers i just and i still to this day i love going and scoring animal i love like looking at a buck going and write it down write my measurements down Mm -hmm. and then go see what he actually is and that's how you get better yeah i mean i've underscored them i've overscored them i've done it all i like to kind of fall right in that right on to just a little bit under I, I like it when a client shoots something and it's just a little bit bigger. Lorenzo's buck's a perfect example. Had lots of trail camera photos of that buck. I did not think he was that big. None of us did. You would have bet me, you said, Jay, a million dollars if he scores what Lorenzo's buck did. You, you if you get, I would not have nailed it. I would have been under. Trail cameras, in my opinion, on a lot of times, they shrink animals big time.
0: It's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. It, weird. it is weird. And
3: and nighttime photos, I think. Really Yeah, so, yeah. so you got to watch that.
0: Yeah, that is bizarre. I noticed the same thing. Yeah, it is weird how a trail camera photo. And, and you almost... I will say that like trail camera photos of animals that I've killed, uh, I've gone through and done the same exercise just for fun in a trail camera picture and tried to estimate like how much I think a G2 or a G3 is and kind of added it up. But you're right. They do seem to like underestimate yeah, perspective it.
2: Perspective of the lens
3: Perspective, or something. something. something yeah. that the is the b- thing is I think bizarre. is it's really hard to j- field judge off of a photo, off of one yeah. photo. It's really hard to judge off of multiple photos. I want as many angles as I can. Mm-hmm. I really want video. And then, if I can't have video, the best is seeing it with your own eye. What I also like is seeing it with your own eye and digiscoping it, studying it when you get home, seeing that animal again. Where well, and breaking Mm -hmm. it down. Does he have ten-inch G fours? Does he, you know, and being like, well, he doesn't look as big as what I've made him because we've all seen videos that we've seen stuff and we're like, that thing's a giant, Mm -hmm. and then you actually see it in person, you're like, it's not as big as that clip where he's turned a certain way looks. It's fun. It is fun. I don't know. I mean, we we look at
0: a lot of pictures of deer and we talk about it a lot. And I think, yeah, I just, it's fun. It's fun to play with it. It's fun to I think it's
3: fun because no matter how much we do it, you can get better you can get good, but you're never going to be exactly right. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those, like, it's almost like the game of golf. You're never going to master it. And yeah. I
0: think it's just antlers in general are fascinating. Absolutely I, are. I, I don't How know why. I, yeah, I've thought about this a lot. I don't know why, but so many people just are completely fascinated with them. Yeah. They're just interesting.
3: Well, it's They're like so cool. Lorenzo, I mean, he shot that big giant buck last year. Mm-hmm. I, he's shooting management bucks and just as excited,
2: like yeah. stuff, the goofy Oh, I stuff. like them all. He likes <laughs> yeah. he likes all. Yeah, the, I do too. You know, I like them all. They, yeah. And but just like you said, I like them all, but I also like to know what they are. Right. And for relevance for me for the future, relevance for that animal from the past, like i I do genuinely like to know what they are. It doesn't mean anything. I really well, don't know. Well I was just in
3: your office and you've got like your top ten mule deer bucks there. Yeah. And you've got a range from really big to pretty big. Yeah. But you talk about each one, you talk about the experience, you talk about each animal yeah. with the same passion. One might be 190. One might be 245. Yeah, but they're all yours, and you have a story with each one of them. I'll bet you if I went in there and said which one's your favorite, I'll bet it's not the biggest one. Oh no, not even so close. That's my point. Yeah, my score, not even it's, close. It's, it's, it's just it's, relative. A, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's historical
0: it's a parameter. What is the Right, score? That's great, all it but is. Th- there's a so that's much more to it.
2: That's why it's so <laughs> interesting that it's taken such a hit to like the culture of it. It's yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know where or when that happened, but yeah, I mean they're all they all are what they are, and I was just genuinely trying to shoot the best one mm-hmm. in right. each of the and, places I was, and the people and, that have been critical, are the ones and, I found, and not
0: not for the sake of the score, but but because of what that represents, which yeah. it represents a an exercise in patience and persistence. It, 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 am I getting better at this you, thing that yeah. I love? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I mean to me that's all the biggest animals I've killed score doesn't mean i mean i know what they score i could tell you i've scored them but it doesn't really mean anything to me other than a number but what really means a lot to me is that i focused in on that animal and i hunted that animal and i got it killed that's it that's what it is for me and it's i mean there's uh, hands down i will tell you i mean i've killed a lot of animals i have killed cow elk i've killed tons of animals the most satisfying thing for me as a hunter is to find an animal the and, best animal yeah, I can find. Focus. Target that animal, focus it on it, and kill it. It's the most satisfying uh, me too. thing. I will it.
3: second that. I, and whether it's the biggest or not, it just sure. might be one that I like. Right. Yeah. And it's, might, there might be three that are bigger, mm-hmm. but I like that one. Yep. To me, there's nothing more rewarding than that is your focus Hands on down. that <clears throat> particular animal, and that's the one you want. And you'll go the whole hunt, and you might pass a buck mm-hmm. bigger because you didn't get yours. So be it. Yep. Trail means exactly that. When I shot my bull this year, that's exactly
1: what he told me. He and, he was asking other questions too, but the main thing he kept repeating was, "You stuck with it. You wanted to find the bull. You found the bull, and then you dedicated those days required to kill that bull." Mm-hmm. And he said that was so cool. Like you put in the effort because nothing bull. feels like that. Super nope. rewarding. It's nothing. the best thing you can experience. He, in he repeated hunting. that multiple times. Like that was so cool. You put in the time, you killed it. Yeah, I think there's
0: there's a progression in hunters. You know we all kind of know what it is because we've hunted for a long time there's a progression of things but you know when you get to a point and i would highly encourage anybody to do this like spend the time find an animal put the work in the effort it's the it's the best
2: thing in hunting well, yeah. all those whitetail guys do it it's, it's like do that it. is the best part yeah. of it they could kill and apparently so it's other okay bucks. but it's not <laughs> yeah but it's not <laughs> but it's not out but here not for whatever else. reason <laughs> but anyway
0: uh, we're, we're over two hours um, I had so many other questions we'll Same. have to have you, we'll have have to have to do you back again. again some other time yeah, yeah I wanted sure. to get into I just wanted to get into like hunting stories because you've killed some giant bulls I would love to know how that transpired but you know I had a, wolves in Colorado I mean we got a lot, lot to talk ranch, about, whatever else you got going on in Colorado. But we're, we'll probably wrap it up because we're over two hours. Here's the, the good wolves news in
2: Colorado. We got it.
3: I'm only 45 minutes away, so that's sure, the good we'll, news. We'll yeah. have to do that. Do you yeah. want to hit that one real quick? I mean, we it's, can do it's that. so fresh; they were released
2: yesterday. It, it is brand new. Yeah. What?
0: It, I mean, you spend part of your time in Colorado.
3: How? What's the vibe? What's your feeling? Yeah, uh, my personal opinion is in 10 years, Colorado's wildlife's going to look completely different. Um,
2: <laughs> off it, of one really dumb. Like, it's, it's Do
3: you know, the one that really hurts my heart.
0: Like, it, it Colorado has built arguably the best Shiris moose population mm-hmm. ever known. I mean, they, they are killing really nice bulls, the populations are are really good, really productive, really healthy. You know, they've they're using hunters to manage those populations. It's a phenomenal opportunity as far as Shyrus moose hunting goes. It's world class right now. That resource is
2: in big jeopardy. Major
0: jeopardy. Yeah. And it yeah. really hurts. Hurts my heart. <laughs> they, they didn't
1: need to release honor. the five wolves or so at least five wolves which is yesterday, December 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: They got more, I've never more shared, coming. I've never shared
1: the photo. I've seen a wolf track in Colorado before in 2018. Oh, there's, there's wolves I've in Colorado. seen Colorado. Yeah, those tracks multiple times and they were following a herd of elk. I'm not yeah. just saying this as some hunters like crazy and like doing this. I literally have a photo on my phone of a wolf track and I've seen plenty of wolf tracks in my life. They've already been there. It's not a reintroduction because they're already there. You can't do a reintroduction if they're
2: there. Yeah, ask the guides and outfitters of Colorado. They see wolves. Like they're already there. Uh, The people who spend time out in the woods of Colorado, they know they're there, they've seen them. I
3: think the biggest tragedy of the whole thing for me is, and it's just the nature of it, is a a decision was made by a very few Mm -hmm. that's gonna affect a lot. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, it's sad to see that we think we have a democratic system where everybody has a voice. But the reality is that's probably not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's a... I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to work work through my head. I've, I've done a lot of processing. Like, as I was driving down, I was thinking about it a lot. I just... I hate... It feels to me like the heritage of hunting hunting as a tradition hunting as an opportunity as a you know quote unquote sport it feels like it's it's being uh diminished to the and not just diminished in the number of people that are coming into it and being recruited but also just diminished in 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 the idea that it's a worthwhile pastime that it's somehow antiquated you know that it's not it's not of modern times you know we, sh- we shouldn't be hunting anymore like t- it feels to me like you've got some of these major metropolitan areas whether it's the wasatch front you know or denver denver you know boulder um it almost feels like they're looking at hunting as like this is this thing that should go away you know you guys we this this, tra- this tradition this pastime shouldn't be passed on it's outdated you, you shouldn't be doing it you know, we should return wolves to the landscape and we should have these pristine ecosystems that existed prior to, you know, humans and, you know, hunters shouldn't play a part in that. And that's what really, it really bugs me. Here's
2: it, a, here's, so they, they say what you just said, but mm-hmm. what I find so fascinating and fascinating and honestly hilarious in that statement is we should return these landscapes to when humans didn't exist. Well, we do, we do exist like so we, many
3: success stories that's the we the story of the are, national wild turkey yeah, federation we, mean, we are the, the wild sheep
2: foundation and the. of these animals so was, you can't you with mm-hmm. human expansion and we're i mean god only knows how many springs we've piped to metropolitan areas and how much water we've taken from the landscape from these animals and how much pressure we put on them from taking their landscape from them with human expansion all this stuff like yeah we do exist so, so now more so than ever do we need a group of people like hunters who actually do love and care about these animals and actually understands what is happening to them and what they need and what, you know, what, um, you know, the non hunters have the pressures they put on them with human expansion, all that stuff I just said. It's like, how we, we need to return the landscape to before people. Well, there's, we can't do that. There's people. Well, you literally tra- tra- can't do it to, to both of your point all of your points, like,
3: I think that's where, as hunters, we need to stick together. Mm -hmm. And 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 there's, you know, we all know there's bashing and stuff that goes on because someone does something different than the way I do it or you do it or whatnot. The reality is, we're all hunters. We've got to stick together, Mm -hmm. and we've got to, you know, we've we've got to stop picking on people that don't do it how we do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, It's important that we rally together and what's happened in colorado is really heartbreaking i mean heartbreaking it is it hurts hurts badly to see
2: well then and then the the bighorn thing too like they're they're coming off of a loss a big loss with bighorn habitat with the housing development or the the Mm -hmm. structural development going in i can't remember exactly the town sorry but they lost that and so The bighorns are going to be wildly affected on their winter range. They're going to lose their winter range. And now just off the back of that loss, now wolves are being reintroduced. Well, not even just reintroduce. They're just adding more wolves. Adding well, the I, landscape. I,
3: I can't help but think reintroducing wolves is just a way to make it where there's not game animals for us to hunt. So yeah, in other words, if you, if you that's, take that away and you the let I the look. wolves kill, you let the predators kill, then the hunters won't have anything to hunt. That's that's, that's what how I feel like.
0: about yeah. it. I feel like it's just... that's the, the, the part of this that really bugs me the most is that it's just... It feels like it's... Uh, you know, these these big metropolitan, you know, areas primarily, it's, it feels like they're looking at hunting as something that is, you know, we've evolved past that. We shouldn't be doing that anymore. You know, and here's a way that we can, you know, put a predator on the landscape that can manage the herds that, you know, formerly hunters were a part of that system. Well, We don't really need you anymore to do that. We've got these apex predators. They can take, you know, take the position and, and manage the herds so that we can just get rid of hunting because we're, we're past it. We've evolved and that bugs me because I, I would i and mean it should it, bugs the it, shit it, out yeah me i mean too. i and I, that is what it feels like and looks like yeah that's what it feels like to me but uh, I, and I and i hate that because i would i mean i i, I want to see hunting opportunities yeah. in perpetuity i want my yeah. kids to be able to hunt my grandkids you know i, w- I want that opportunity
5: yeah
0: because yeah. i know what it's meant so no, it means well kind I, of think,
3: I think all of you doing what you're doing mm-hmm. here at go hunt having this podcast having these open discussions i think you guys are doing your part to see hunting pushed and you know for your grandkids and your great-grandkids so keep doing what you're doing Um, from my perspective guys thanks for having me up here this has been real enjoyable Uh, Lorenzo to you back to 2015 thanks for taking a chance on me and sponsoring my podcast and still sponsoring it to this day and um, that's important to me and it's been important to my family so um, everyone sitting at this table I consider salt of the earth and I just, um, I'm glad to be a part of what Gohan is doing.
2: Appreciate that.
1: Thanks, thank Jay. You. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That was Probably good. one of my favorite podcasts, too. I really enjoyed this one.
0: That was good. Thanks, Brady. <laughs> She's always fun.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've known you for 11 years now, yeah. I think. Maybe more, even before Gohan days. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's always always fun to talk to Jay. I agree. We have him down here more often. Like exactly. I have way more, way more stuff I want to talk go about. Go to
2: hunt camp with him in uh, Mexico, and then you'll really yeah, have fun. exactly. We'll do it. Well, thanks. Yeah.